The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols PlayStation Podcast. This is episode number 164. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as uh, I'm joined as always by the perpetual mover, Chris Raygun. Now, Chris, a lot of people were making me laugh because well, a few people <laughs> wrote in saying someone was like, Chris has been is always moving for the last year. I know. <laughs> but this is it's really happening. It's yeah, really yeah. happening. Well, I mean, it's like you can't break a lease, you know, <laughs> so like well, you I, can, but you well, you can. You shouldn't in general. It's not like the best idea so you know i moved earlier this year but it was more just to get most of uh a lot of just a lot of the littler things out of here uh in a reasonable time frame so that way when i had to time when i had to move for real i didn't have as much shit to pack which was uh wise i think i'm glad i did that Very but good. yeah because like my car is over there now and i would have had to ship my car too it would have been like such a hassle all at once but yeah this is actually real you just drive your car up to FedEx and you're like, got to send this to take it. Yeah, take it. Just take it and bring it to New York somehow. Get yeah, it do, you guys, do you guys have a scale outside or like? Yes. What? <laughs> oh, man, I, I used to love going to the FedEx store in Santa Monica because I used to ship so much shit when I was in California. For some reason, I think we were doing a lot of the higher tier stuff on Patreon and stuff. So 
I would always be there at the 24 hour one. And I, I just, I, I had this like really weird relationship with one of the guys there, like this friendship almost where we would very, I'd be there at like three in the morning because no one would be there and he'd be talking to me about all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, well, we're kind of friendly, but I kind of just want to ship these packages, you know, kind of just don't want to have this conversation, but I'm kind of here. And since you're packing all of my things for me, I kind of have to sit here now. And it was a little bit of a thing. But, yeah. Well, anyways, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it's good to see you, Chris, as always. Dustin, executive producer of Last Stand Media. Welcome. How is uh, life for you? Life is pretty good. Can't complain. Just, uh, I feel like, I don't know. I'm assuming you guys are somewhat like me where your mind sometimes creates stress where it's not necessary. And like this, this event is getting closer, right? And everything is pretty much together. Like I was talking to Ben, I'm like, there's not really that much to do at this point other than just do it. But I'm feeling, I don't know. It's just a, it's a big, we've, you know, not done anything like this. And so I'm getting very excited. That's like, let's see, today's the 19th. That's like two weeks. Dang. Yeah. Very yeah, close. It's, it is exciting. So what uh, Dustin is referencing is our first ever live show, an evening with last stand. We were actually just talking about it briefly before we started recording. Cause we were talking about, my vision for this, if it moves forward uh, from there, which I think it's going to, I mean, I, I mean, apart from the show, we're doing this test run. What, I, what we're really curious with this test run is to just see like what we can learn and figure out you know, pain points and, and so on. But what I was saying was is that my, my real vision for this is to make sure that we, like maybe once a quarter or something, maybe even more than that, we can get rolling so that all of the last stand talent gets together and debates an issue and kind of is are pitted against one another in some way mm. in, in front of an audience, which I think would be, which is cool. So I'm really excited for it too. It is creeping up. Thank you so much for all of you that are going. Um, we obviously sold out in no time at all. You have something to say? Real quick, there's three tickets. As of the, like while we're recording, there are three tickets from Refunded. So if you're on Patreon, go back to that post. You may be able to snag one. Maybe not. I don't know. It might be gone by tomorrow. They've been there for a few days now though. So nice. Check yeah, it's it probably out. People have no idea to look. Yeah. And to answer other people's questions, yes, when we sell tickets for future events, we will give you more lead and we won't just do it so quickly. But we weren't so worried about making it democratic because we really just wanted to do it and figure it out. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah, that's that. Remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash laststandmedia. We appreciate your support there. Numbers kind of teetering out a little bit. I mean, I, I need you guys to keep keep coming to Patreon. Support us over there if you can, you know, or I might just walk away and say, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I've been watching a lot of this guy, Steve Wallace on YouTube. He's this guy that lives in Alberta and Canada and he, he does um, camping stuff, but he does like stealth camping. So he camps like under a, a trestle on a highway Whoa. or like that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, this guy, you know, so, I, you know, don't tempt me. I guess what I'm saying is just keep supporting me on Patreon or I don't know what I'll do. Uh, supporting us on Patreon. Come also go over to uh, iTunes and all the other places that you might listen to us. Obviously, follow us on YouTube or whatever if you can. Leave a nice, you know, thumb us up, all that. But leave us some nice reviews on iTunes as well. Yeah. Uh, if you can, or I'll karate chop you right in your fucking gullet. And you don't want that to happen. Uh, you can buy merch at laststandmedia.shop. And of course, uh, go to Bard's Glass. What is it? Bard's Is it bardsglass.com? Is that what it was? Yes. I have it here written here. If you go to bardsglass.com, B-A-R-D-S-G-L-A-S-S.com. There are there is a kind of a landing page for Sacred Symbols stained glass. Last week, we told you that we're doing this really cool one off stained glass run and it sold out very quickly. So he's trying to up 
his capacity to accommodate more. Remember, of course, the Sacred Symbols logo is supposed to be stained glass. So this is like the perfect kind of fusion of art and reality. And we yeah. appreciate your support over there very much. All right. Let's get into the show itself, guys. Let's hear out Christian Colta, who has a complaint. I'm curious what you guys think of his comment here. He says, hi, guys. So I'm probably the only listener who will ever say this. But I got to say, I'm not a fan of the new six to nine hours a week of Sacred Symbols. Sacred Symbols used to be the highlight of my week because it felt really special. This is a normal trend most podcasters take when they hit success. And I dropped quite a few because I couldn't keep up anymore. But since you always said how games confuse quality with quantity, I felt like you guys got it. But then you go ahead and act like some confused Assassin's Creed developer by just adding more and more. A 15 minute conversation about poop can be charming in a two hour podcast. But in the three or four hour banger, it feels more like disrespecting my time. Another thing you don't like in games, and I agree with you on, on top of all, Colin is a recent po- in a recent podcast admitted to being stretched thin. So are we here forever? Or is there a way back? I know we can skip content just like Colin can play games without trophy hunting, but some of us are just broken like that. And we will go to great lengths to ruin an experience. So I was actually, when I got this, I went and looked because there's no doubt that the podcast has gotten much longer. I would say, in fact, it's gotten twice as long as it was in the beginning. Yeah. But but I think that there are a few things about this, and I want to kick it over to you, Chris, in a moment. But here are a few items. Number one, we added Dustin to the show permanently. That's going to make the show longer unless you cut down on what we're saying. That conceivably makes the show one third longer just by having a third person in and giving them the time and space to talk. So that's number one. And I think it's made the show better. I don't think that almost anyone uh, disputes that. I mean, look at the roundness of that head. Gravity couldn't pull anything rounder than that. <laughs> wow. Science and then speaks. And then it is. It's just science. It's the science of mass. And the second thing is that I feel like the shows need to be as long as they need to be. I don't feel like I've ever just gone to on and on and on to make a show longer. We don't it doesn't benefit benefit at us all. In fact, it, it quite the opposite. I mean, I would assume doing long like an hour less would be easier for everybody involved. Yeah. The three of us, Ben. Everybody would be it would be easier for. But I don't think the content would be as good because we're and I also think we're finding our cadence. So let's call that 2A. But then I think the number three or C, depending on I don't know if I was saying numbers or or letters to begin. But, you know, with that, it's my personal take on the podcast I listen to that I like is often like, wow, why don't they go deeper? Wow. Why don't they have more to say? Like I listen to some of these shows that. I think are a little more syndicated, a little more radio style, et cetera, or a little more old school where they're like, well, it's an hour. And well, you know, like there's a podcast going. And it's like, well, I, uh, sorry, Jim, I just wanted to cut in and say something real quick. It's like, well, why don't you just say what you want to say? It's a podcast. Who cares? It can go on. So that's my take on the show's kind of bloat. And the show is bigger than ever. So it's clearly resonating with someone. But anyway, Chris, how do you feel about Christian's uh, comment here? Do you think we're going on too long? Do we think do you think we're disrespecting people's time? Or do you think the podcast is okay? I don't think so. I, I don't. Th- I understand where he's coming from because I kind of because I I have my own podcast. I do I do the Snark Tank on 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 my own channel, right? And that's one that I have a hard line where like we don't go past two hours because that is generally like when I'm listening. That seems to be like the most most approachable time limit for like people to kind of get into a new podcast i we talked about this earlier like i think even like when we were starting the show and like we were trying to find the rhythm in the first like couple episodes we were like how long should this be and like i think we had this exact conversation and i so i I understand what he's saying but i don't think that the podcast that we do here 
when it goes to three hours or three and a half hours, I don't think we are as like redundant or as disrespectful of people's time as some other shows that I have seen go like far, far longer. I feel like we're able to squeeze a lot more into that. It's basically just kind of like I always think of it as like kind of two episodes almost where it's like you're not getting less content, you know, you're getting more of it and it's not devalued by how long it is. You know, it's just there's more that we can say, especially because we got rid of the drop. You know, a lot. It's not like a lot of this space that we're talking in isn't isn't like wasted space, I don't think. And I think we do a good job of like making sure that's the case. So I understand where he's coming from, because that is like a general preference of people. But I I think I think we still do a pretty good job, despite how long the show is. And like you said, we're you know, it's it's bigger now than it was. So it's clearly not a detriment to the show. Show just gets bigger. I mean, the the our numbers stay a little flat on YouTube specifically. I think like in the mid twenties up to thirty. That's the yeah, that's the like same thing with the Snark Tank. It's like YouTube is weird with podcasts, right? But my on Patreon we just keep growing and getting more numbers, and then audio is good. It's also interesting. Like most of our listens for Sacred Symbols are on audio feeds. Defining mm. Duke does like much less traffic on audio. It actually does way more traffic on YouTube. So it's interesting that we have these different shows that we have to manage as well and also different shows that kind of go the length they need to. Knockback is an interesting example, which is our retro and nostalgia podcast that I think has actually gotten shorter. It got longer and then it got shorter again. And I think the reason that that was is because Dagan and I just stopped talking so much in the beginning. Right. Like just got rid of it because like we were basically using it as an excuse to just talk to each other. So <laughs> so and a lot of people liked it, but it, it was, as you were saying, not approachable. Right. Mm-hmm. But with sacred symbols, I don't know that I want sacred symbols to be that approachable. I th- I'm not trying to be a dickhead, but I think this podcast is for a next level of PlayStation fan that is not the guy that necessarily used to listen to podcasts beyond or something where we would keep it to an hour. Right. right yeah. Like this is a person I think that's a little nerdier. We have 12,000 plus people paying for the show. I mean, so it's uh, so I- I'm personally proud of what it's become but we'll talk a little bit more about what you were saying with the drop later because we have an interesting letter about that as well but Dustin how do you feel about you know you're, you're the producer of this content so how do you feel about the length I, I think one thing that's important for people to note with this show and maybe to the point that that Chris was making with people respecting your time a little less on other shows is that I do write this show like it, it uh, maybe one day I'll show people the document it's not like anything impressive but it's all written yeah. we're not just like going and shooting at the side uh, by the side of our hip which is actually what we do on knockback so w- what do you think about this stuff from Christian the the sacred texts of of sacred symbols the sacred text right I no I feel like the the key that and I, I would hope that the audience would agree with this I mean they're the ultimate judge of the content we can't really be fair because we're on it and create it but I guess if you I don't feel like that the length has come at the cost of the quality of the discussion at all, right? Like, um, if we were bloating out the podcast and our 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 ten minute poop conversation became thirty minutes, then I could understand why. Don't tempt me. Yeah, I mean, maybe one of these days we will do that, but yeah, I could I could understand that you know maybe that feeling of like, well, this is too long, and I'm just not, I'm not listening to anything uh, uh, worth or like conversations that are. I don't know, not not interesting. I I would hope that the conversations are still very interesting. The only time I think that we maybe went too long was that E3 episode, but I totally get it. Like, I think it was justified. I think that one was, uh, let's see here. 
That was four hours, I think. Well, but, but it was almost was, five. It was like four forty-eight. But that <laughs> yeah. is, but that it was justified. But this is the thing; it can't both be too long and justified. Hmm. Well, how about yeah. this? Let me rephrase that. Yeah. If I was listening, I would be like, "Whoa, that is going to take me a like the the content will get outdated by the time I'm done listening to it." Because the no, way I understand that, that I would I listen that. to it, I understand that. It, but I will yeah, just say that I hear a lot of the comments from patrons and listeners, and overall, I found the consensus that the longer episodes are appreciated because people people don't view a podcast like I need to sit and listen to this one thing for three hours straight. It's like, yeah. nice. I have something that I can chew on and listen to on my car ride to work for the next four days or something. And so they appreciate that from that perspective. But I can also understand the people that do want to consume it in a more uh, one sitting approach. But I, I don't know. I feel like it's just you'd have to adapt to that. I'm personally just sick of hearing everyone complaining all the time. No, I'm only kidding. We, I wanted to, I wanted to, because like, I think it's very similar to what we were saying maybe a month or two ago, we were talking about the different ways we approach PlayStation, the three of us. And I think we approach podcasts and podcasting a different way too, which I think is useful. I think what we try to do is, at least in my opinion, is we try to cater the show to as many people as possible that want both entertainment. Like I've said before, and it's not, I'm not trying to be braggadocious but i'll put my playstation might like my what i know about the, the brand and know about i'll put it against anyone and that i think is the core of the show and the conversations we have off of that but i don't know how to have conversations without being silly i don't know how to have conversations without being stupid and you know ridiculous sometimes or long-winded and all these kinds of things the show just needs to be what it is i think this is actually one of those examples Imagine another show spending its first 10 minutes t talking about a letter, a complaint they got from the audience to try to work it out like that. That's what makes our show special. And we've tried to give you ways to work around some of these lengths like on YouTube and on Patreon. We can give you timestamps. Mm. By the way, the reason we can't give you audio timestamps is because they won't be right because the audio feeds are filled automatically by various ads at different times. And that's totally out of our hands. And we'd rather not get complaints about timestamps not being right. So we just don't put them in. Right, right. So so for people to understand that. So and and by the way, like the way I consume podcasts, because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I often listen to them while I'm playing games or fiddling around with my G.I. Joe's or whatever. Man, if I see a fucking four hour Rogan banger pop up with Alex Jones, I'm like, woo! you know, so that's like my like <laughs> I get really amped up. I'm like, oh, my God, that must be awesome. Or I see a, a really long Tim Pool episode or Jimmy Dore or whatever pops up and i'm like yes sam harris going on for four hours that's the shit i love so i only know what i know and yeah. that's all there is to it but i appreciate everyone feeding including you christian you can get the hell out of here but i appreciate you <laughs> writing it nonetheless thank you thank you christian for that quick note from phil crone he says hello to the only cdc that talks to me like an adult just a quick note from last week you all mentioned that you couldn't think of a twin stick shooter in a 2D side scrolling plane. How soon we forget that the masters of the twin stick shooter housemark did attempt this with Matterfall. The result was a, was middling, in my opinion, and it's a 73 on Metacritic. Yeah, good point. I just want to leave this conversation in the past. It's yeah. too complicated. I don't have the fucking muster right now to, yeah. to deal with it. I've never even heard of this. Oh, Matterfall <laughs> was like one of those PS4 housemark games that it came out after Next Machina and Sony almost basically didn't even acknowledge its existence. Oh, wow. Oh, huh. So there's that. Phil, we hear you. Thank you for that. Also, hard to find wrote in and said, Colin, your response to the cool booty T-shirt combo is unacceptable. Either sleep in nothing or put on some underwear. You creep. 
Now, I take umbrage with this com- with this comment for one reason. I don't like the word of the use of the word creep. That's like a pretty big insult. You know, yeah. calling someone a creep. Like when you think about like a teen movie and the guy's like, you know, girls like, get out of here, you creep. I'm not a creep. I don't think. Do I look like one? I'm going to stare at the camera. And you tell me. But well, it doesn't help. No, it's not helping. That's, <laughs> that's forget, not helping forget the that. case. Forget that. But but uh, that's a bit of a weird thing. I mean, you're by yourself, you know, you're not like hurting anybody. You're not like you're not like only wearing a shirt with no underwear in in some random person's house. You're not like sneaking around in the in the middle of the neighborhood at like dusk with right, no exactly. underwear on. Like, calm exactly. down. You know, I'm with Micah, but she doesn't mind. Yeah. And why would and why would she? Right. You know? When I think oh, of, I when I hear the word creep, I always think of that uh, fucking that Scooby Doo, like the, the green Scooby Doo man, the creeper guy. I don't know. I don't you know don't know cre- how, creep? Really? From Scooby Doo? Creeper Scooby-Doo. from Scooby Doo? The, the, he's like the green man who creep. walks around and goes creeper. Oh yeah, yeah. This oh, this man. Looking guy. Yeah. I don't really know Scooby Doo very well. I mean that that I only watched it before like elementary school for a little while. That was it. And that was in like 1990. Oh, that's so it's that's, been a while. That's fair, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why this character is like stuck out to me for some reason. Yeah, I, okay, I I, re- I recognize this character. He's a gross man. He is a gross man. He's got that hunchback, big shoulder, big shoulders. What a freak! Uh, what a freak of nature! <laughs> I we got a lot of letters though about the sleeping situation, and I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say, but that's just the way it's gotta be. <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> It can't be any other way. And by the way, Ben Peace wrote into us and said, Chris not mentioning Halo 3 as a famous game released in 2007 triggered me. Well, Ben, it goes without saying. <laughs> you know, like, I, it, would, it would be so redundant of me to say that. But like, it would be like, by the way, air is here, you know? Like, you don't, need to, you don't need to hear that. Because you know that by virtue of being alive to perceive me having said it. Right. And you can hear it because there is, in fact, air. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just be nothing. You would but, hear but, nothing. I also thought it was just too obvious. Like, oh, mm. I bet Chris is going to say this, and I didn't. So I gotcha. Keep him wow, on your toes. toes. Yeah, yeah. I forgot a couple of bangers from 2007 myself, especially because I always think Bioshock is a 2008 release in my head because it came to PS3 in 2008. Oh, right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, so, it was 07. Yep. So, yeah, I, it, that was a great time, though. It's a, it's a memorable time because that was when I had just started full time at IGN and that was that first six months of my my career there as a full time writer. It was just like I think I started like right when we got the orange box and all the shit. So we were we were off running. It was pretty cool. A couple of notes here. Ghost of Tsushima director's cut and the Iki DLC are alive by the time you're hearing this show. So you can go check those out. Remember, there are different ways to buy it depending on the way you're working it. Good luck. I have no idea what the fuck any of it means. I don't know that I'm going to play it anytime soon. I will leave it for the what we're playing, but I'm so far behind. On mm. shit that I want to play right now. I'll leave that for then. Uh, also, there's some questions about Spider-Man. If he's still coming to the Avengers on PS4 and PS5 uh, by the end of the year, which was promised by Crystal Dynamics. Apparently that is happening. So you can keep an eye out for that. There's a really good story on a website called Rockman Corner, which I read uh, once in a while, but it's a Mega Man website. It's a little bit of an expose about what happened to the canceled 2011 game Mega Man Universe. People might remember that game. It was basically a, a me- it was actually Mario Maker before Mario Maker, it was it was supposed to be kind of like a Mega Man Maker. Ooh, with Mega Man t- kind of infused with Mega Man Two. Ryan Clements, my old coworker at IGN, actually played it. It it did get canceled very late when Inafune left. So this is the first time we've ever heard anything about what happened in the game, and it's interesting. So people go check that out. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. And uh, now I'm, I'm loath to do this, but I have to. And We'll get everyone's opinions. I know how Chris feels. I think Dustin feels a little differently. I feel a little differently. But this is a PlayStation podcast, and we're going to talk about it nonetheless. Caswell wrote in and said, hey, or hello, check back in soon. What? Why? Just why? After the teaser of a teaser of a teaser to the 10th power trailer we got for Abandoned, I'm just sitting here questioning my life choices as to why I kept updating an app for three days to see what would happen. I'm going to be annoyed no matter what it is at this point. However, I am impressed that this thing has been able to take the entire industry by storm. Whether they believe this game is something bigger or not, every website, outlet, and person is talking about this game. Is there any other game that has been able to create the same level of speculation and fervor in the industry? I don't even think Red Dead Redemption 2 or God of War or Last of Us Part 2 or TAC 2, the staff of dreams come close. As always, keep fucking that chicken. Didn't they just re-release TAC 2? I think they did. TAC 2? Yeah, TAC was like the... Uh, TAC and the Power was, of Juju, right? Oh, yeah. okay. When you when it, TAC and the Power of Juju, that makes... That rings a bell. But, yeah. Um, oh, no, it wasn't TAC, though. I'm thinking of Ty that they just re-released. Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. Oh. All right. So, which I which is not, not a very good game. No. Chris, I want to start with you on this. So, we're talking about Abandoned. I, before I even kick it over to you, let me just give everyone a little bit of an update. So... The trailer app went up. There was the delay, as we know. Then they posted just the four second walking on wood thing we got, right? With some weird this, that, and the other thing in there. But then IGN and a website NME both published interviews with Hassan Karaman in quotes. And people can go read these these interviews. You could read them as being sad in some way. But... I think it's still nonsense, and uh, I have a lot to say about this, but before I do, I know people are tired of hearing about this. I think Chris represents more that side of it, and Mm -hmm. so I want to let Chris say what he has to say first. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much new I have to add. I'm just at a point now where I just don't know if I really care what this is. Obviously, this is a PlayStation podcast. We will play this, and I'm not the kind of person who's going to let, like, marketing necessarily, like, 
cloud judgment as to whether or not the final product is good. Like I, I could be like, all right, well, that was a good game. The marketing was terrible or that was a bad game. The marketing was terrible. Like I'm pretty good at uh, compartmentalization in that way. But as of right now, my interest in this game is, is very, very low because the tedium and the, I mean, we were literally just talking about disrespecting people's time. I mean, I can't think of anything more disrespectful of people's time than being like, Hey, we're going to have an update today. And then like, Oh, sorry, it's not working. And then going radio silent for a day. And then the same thing happening for three days, only for the update to be the exact thing that they tweeted the first day on Twitter. It's like, at a certain point, there, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to attribute any malice to what could be attributed to uh, ignorance, but it's just such a dumb way to market a thing in, in such a way that it doesn't leave me feeling curious or intrigued it just leaves me feeling frustrated and annoyed and those feelings are probably going to carry over to the full game when it's actually unveiled regardless of what it is even if it does look really cool and even if it does end up being like a really interesting game that is actually like a 10 out of 10 i'm always still even when it's even if it is great i am always going to remember this was such a frustrating experience getting to this point you know and i would still be like hey it's a good game go play it but I don't know. I, 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 I almost wish that I didn't know about this. You know, I almost I almost wish this was like just off to the side and I just didn't pay attention to it because it's just so annoying. But that's really all I have to say about it, you know, which I've, you know, said it ad nauseum. Indeed. Dustin, where do you fit into this? Because I. <laughs> so I think people are, in my opinion, people are missing the forest for the trees with this one. People are really stuck on this. There, there are a few layers to this. Mm. And I actually express this on Twitter because people are like, well, this isn't a story. Why are you giving it so much attention? And I'm like, anyone who's been in this industry for a long time knows this. This is fucking weird. Yeah, it is and, a story. And, yeah. And it's definitely a story. This is this is weird for a lot of reasons. And I wouldn't expect people to not necessarily or to necessarily know those reasons if you're not in the industry. But I'm trying to explain to you the many ways that this is weird. And people, I think, are hung up on the Kojima Konami weirdness, which is its own thing. But that aside, yeah. it's all weird. Even though, like, <laughs> even without that connection, it's just bizarre that this random studio that has never really like fully delivered on a promise before just has access to the PlayStation ecosystem in a way that they're able to publish a trailer app, which is something right. that's never been done before. And they have like all these like different contracting studios, but they're still a small team. And it's like and no one outside of Hassan Caraman has been like there's nobody else who works at this. It's yeah, no weird. one works there. They apparently work with Noir now, which is a, a Noir is a. um for contract studio a pretty expensive one i actually think they worked on horizon and yeah. you can just tell that there's something wrong with this i don't know what it is i have no idea what it is but here's the thing dustin is that the more interviews that are posted where they're like this dispels everything i'm like no it doesn't this makes it worse every time i read something like the nme interview i think talks about how he had to pay back like a $200,000 loan on the last game. It's like, really? Who the, how the fuck did you pay that back? Like, at, at, where did you get that money from? It talks about how he uses high-end motion capture for this game. Motion capture is so expensive in the video game industry. I want to put this in the context for people that first-party teams within Sony's ecosystem have started building their own mocap studios in their buildings 
so that they don't have to go to third party places to do it. And they can even rent theirs out to outside entities and make money on them. So this isn't something you just do. And everyone with Unreal 5 is like, well, everyone's had early access to Unreal Engine 5. Well, no, that's not true. Not when you consider that the game has apparently been developed on Unreal Engine 5 before. It's a big deal if a game is on Unreal 5. Mm -hmm. We're still getting new releases on Unreal 4 right now. So there's a lot wrong with it. And I wanted and, and my biggest problem, Dustin, is just like, why doesn't anyone ask him the right questions? That to me is the most frustrating thing. And I've said it a million times. Give me five minutes. That's all I want. And I would ask, like, who is your liaison at Sony? Like your, your dev liaison. How many dev kits and test kits did you get? How much did they cost when you when you rented them? Right. Like you can ask very specific questions. How did you get access to UE5 and assets like that so early? How did you make a deal with PlayStation to get an app? That's never happened. No one's ever done anything like this before. How did you pitch that? Who's funding your game? Who's publishing your game? Do you have any relationship with Sony at all? Do you have any relationship with Konami? Do you have any relationship with Kojima? Do you uh, not? Not one of these questions are being asked. And my right. and my whole thing is like, why? In fact, in the NME article, it says like, we can debunk these rumors. It's not a Silent Hill game. It's not Metal Gear. Uh, in fact, we know exactly what it is. Hassan gave us an exclusive rundown of Abandoned, including plot points, how it plays, just about everything we could ever want to know. Hassan asked us to keep it to ourselves. But one thing is that we can say is Abandoned is absolutely not what you think it is, not even close. People don't get that just because this may not or probably isn't a Konami or Kojima project. It makes it almost weirder in, 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 in its own way. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling because I am so annoyed by how people don't understand this. Dustin. So... Okay, I have three pointers about this. And the first thing is that there's been a discussion about uh, whether or not Blue Box and Abandon is worth covering anymore. In fact, uh, recently the host of Podcast Beyond said that they're not even going to touch it anymore because there are uh, other games that are worthwhile of the exposure over covering something like Abandon. That's their right to choose to do that. I think yeah, he's sure. wrong uh, because, like you said, Colin, this is... And this goes into my second point is a lot of people are justifiably mad and upset and annoyed right now. Okay. I get that. And it's because they feel like they were misled. And I think that's a very justified way to feel. But if you are an observer of this industry and you are interested in this industry, this is one of the biggest stories of the year, whether it's Kojima, whether it's Sony or whether it's, it's nothing we have like this is like a Kate Holmes Theranos situation. If anyone knows about that, yeah, this, good reference. This woman that was the CEO of this company Theranos that offered to do like, oh, you can just do this one little blood test and it will tell you like everything that's wrong with you. And she was able to gain millions and millions of dollars in funding. And there was never any product ever. They never got the product to work. And she's in jail now because of it. There's a great HBO documentary. Yeah. My I was point, say, that's that's what I learned about it. About yeah. So my point is, even if this isn't anything, it is still worth covering because we may have Kojima reference here, the man who sold the world, who was able to complete. Dude, if this guy is nobody, this is so insanely like crazy that he was able to completely dupe the entire Internet, get his game trending. Was his strategy a good one that's i mean it's still not over we don't know at this point but 
either way, I would argue it is very much worth talking about regardless. And the nice thing, as we talked about earlier, if you don't care, then use a timestamp and you can skip over this conversation and mute right. it from your Twitter. The last thing is calling these, these interviews. And I have to shout out our, our contributor, Hogue Law, uh, Rick Hogue, for his video that he just put out. I think it was today on Thursday. And he went over the IGN article in detail. I highly recommend people go and, and watch this video because IGN, as you said, Colin, gave him so many softballs and they never asked the hard questions, the real questions like funding. Hassan in these interviews talks and go breaks down all of the failed projects. And yet it's like, where'd the money come from? Yeah. How have you been afloat? since 2015 and you've never released a product ever like also they said he said in that interview with IGN that that blood curse whatever game right is that that he's mysteriously played on PSN somehow got an uploaded package to the public PSN in which he's allowed to play okay that's a whole nother thing that that doesn't happen but he also claimed that that game will come out and it will be free right I mean he's making extraordinary claims I'm sorry Chris He's just such a weirdo. Like, I don't understand this person. Like, this is very. This is, <laughs> but don't you understand that that is why th that that is why this is weird? I actually agree with you completely. First of all, awesome poll with uh, Katie Holmes. Really interesting story. If people don't know about that. And it was more than millions. I mean, I think it was like hundreds of millions of dollars wrapped yeah, up in that. Insane money. And yeah, they never made like it never was going to exist. This this Theranos product that they they um got. But. We don't know what the situation is here, but what you really outlined well, Dustin, was that no matter how this ends up, it's a really interesting story because mm. it, here are the outcomes. It's Kojima. That's interesting. It's Konami. That's interesting. It's Sony. That's interesting. OK, so those are like the positive outcomes. There's actually a fourth positive outcome, which is that it's an independent game of some sort and it's good. OK, so we'll put that into the pile. Those are four outcomes. The fifth outcome is that this is a long con. The sixth outcome is that there is no game of that's vaporware of some sort. There are all the other outcomes that come from this all lead to a path of like, wow, that's really fucking interesting. Could be failed. It could be it could be nonsense. Where did the money come from? How do you get a company like Noir to make a game with you? How do you get Unreal Engine 5 access like that? How why do you keep teasing your game so overtly as a Konami game, knowing exactly what you're doing? You know, it, the SL thing I let go. But when you put a picture out who is basically big boss, that's when I'm like, OK, yeah, you know, you know right. what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, what's, like, what's what's most interesting about it is like all those possibilities are seem pretty much equally likely because it's just such an all over the because it's just such an all over the play. Like, I really have no idea what this could be like. This very well could be because this dude's history of like making games is like so awful so like how the hell did he secure sony money and like just like and all the like the the flipped assets on the unreal store this very well could be like vaporware you know like and it's or it could be a konami misdirector a kojima misdirector i'm not so sold on that but it's it, this, this is objectively an interesting story it's frustrating to me but it's certainly interesting like right that's the that's the only point that I think we have to all agree on in the audience, too. I implore you and indeed defy you to read that interview on IGN and tell me that it's not weird. Good. Yeah. Go and do it. I, I, 
I have to cover this. Like, it's just too. I've been in this industry a long time. This isn't normal. The outcome of this is going to be interesting no matter what the outcome is. We are in that position. And that I didn't put us in that position, but I'm not going to ignore the news because some people don't want to talk about it anymore. And I'll also say this, guys, just to, to wrap it up a little bit. What the fuck else do you want us to talk about? There's nothing to talk about. In yeah. fact, we were blessed with the reins of mana today with some of the news items that came out because this episode was going to be probably one of the 90 minute bangers that Christian wanted. So there's nothing to talk about. So it's not like we're like, hey, guys, go talk about this. Why are you talking? It's like, well, that's why our shows are four hours sometimes. So we can talk about abandon and talk about everything else. But right now, this is weird. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of questions. Oh, and so I guess I'll say this, too. I reached out to him publicly to get him on the show. And Micah reached out to him privately as the coordinator of Last Day Media to get him on the show. I will record with Hassan Karaman at any time, anywhere. Straight up. Let's make it happen. I mean, anywhere digitally, by the way, I'm not going to the Netherlands, <laughs> mostly because I'm not confident I'll be able to get back into the United States and that'll be a big problem. Yeah, yeah. that would be a, that would be a problem. OK, so let's leave it there for now. But thank you for your patience. I know some of you are into it. Some of you are not. I think all of you will probably understand where we're coming from on it. And um, Caswell, thank you for writing in along with everyone else as well. All right. A few more things here. Nicholas Peltier wrote in or maybe it's Peltier says, good day, ball bags with PlayStation lacking a competitive FPS. What do you think of them looking at the potential? Ac uh, ac he says accusation, but he means acquisition of 1047 games and owning Splitgate. It's a perfect arena shooter for esports and the growth potential is high. I think that would only be helped by backing from a, a publisher like Sony. I'm not even sure 1047 would want to sell, but money talks. This would partially solve Sony's FPS problem, though we need resistance. Uh, I agree here now. Now, I agree with the resistance part now. Oh, I wanted to say this, Nicholas. It's too late. Yeah. You know, do yeah. you have any idea what the price of that game would be right now? Oh, my God. I, I remember they raised $10 million in venture capital just to upgrade their servers. That was it. That's all they did with the money. You're talking about a studio that's now worth hundreds of millions of dollars with that game. So it's too late. This, yeah. this was the kind of game you needed to have found before anyone knew it was going to be good. We'll get into what we're playing here. Have you got? But Chris, have you been following, continuing to follow the, the meteoric rise of this game? I saw... Uh, it's an interesting example, a rare example on PlayStation of a game that is in beta that has trophies. So clearly it's getting um, yeah. special treatment. But yeah, what any any new thoughts on it? Uh, no, no I, I think it is. I think it's still really good. It's definitely like a faster paced arena shooter than like it's definitely like more of the it reminds me a little bit more of Quake than like Halo personally. But it it is really good. And it's like it's a really solid game. But like the problem is. As far as like a Sony acquisition, this game is already on every other platform. So it would kind of not be even really all that worth it to to buy it. Like the whole point of like presumably having a Sony first party FPS or like a Sony owned FPS is that you have something over the other guy and it's just too late at this point. You can't buy Splitgate and then take it off like two other platforms. Or even if you wanted to just like stick it to Xbox and take it off Xbox and leave it on PC and PlayStation for crossplay, it's like that's not good PR at all. Like, and I don't think that ever really happens. Also, like Microsoft right. isn't doing that. Uh, uh, you know, like, and they own you know Deathloop. 
<laughs> like the fact that Deathloop is a Microsoft owned game now that is on PlayStation only only would make that look worse for them to take Splitgate off if they were to if they were to acquire it. Like I just don't think that that's the solution. I think you just dig into what you got. Like Resistance, you know, I'm not big on Killzone, but like maybe something on with just anything. Just anything that's first party, anything that you can safely bet is going to be like a quality product. I think I think SOCOM is the obvious thing. Although obviously like that's, you know, I honestly at this point it's been so long since we've speculated about this. I'm not sure what's going on with SOCOM, but you know, you need something bigger and more exclusive than something that's already super popular, already free to play, and already, like, already everywhere else. What do you think about uh, the rise of this game, continued rise of this game, Dustin? And I guess it's, it really is just hypothetical, but I just think it would cost them more to get this game now than it would, co- it would have cost to them to have bought Insomniac in 2019, for sure. I mean, way more. And this is quick money. Uh, but I think this is an, a chicken and egg thing where it wouldn't have been as big if it wasn't available everywhere. Yeah. And therefore, it kind of has to be everywhere. Right. Therefore, it removes the ability or really use of that game to Sony. Well, and I think that... So as far as like Sony buying it up, let's just say even if they did want to, uh, you know, pony up the money or whatever, I feel like it'd be such a bad look. It's like, hey, yeah. we're buying a Halo clone. I mean... Is Splitgate might be amazing. It's and it might have new ideas. It's a Halo clone. Like you look at it and you're like, wow, this looks like I bought Halo at Aldi. Like, sorry, that's just how it <laughs> from the art direction. That's exactly what it looks like. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other thing that I'm wondering about is that this game is huge right now because fans are are frothing at the mouth for Halo Infinite and they want any kind of new Halo experience. And so people are like. Hey, this is like Halo and it's free and it's pretty good. And so I just wonder after Halo Infinite releases, if it is very good, which all signs do point that it will be if the uh, if this game is going to potentially drop off a bit just because Halo Infinite will also be free to play. It won't be on PlayStation, but it will be free to play. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how these two battle it out this coming winter that is interesting timing that like it did seem to pop off right when the tech test ended mm-hmm. i did think that was kind of like a ooh, that's kind of fascinating it is good though like it actually is like a pretty solid arena shooter and i'm, I'm glad that that's that studio has exploded in the way that it has i do think the growth potential is high i just don't yeah. I, don't, I just don't see the reason for sony to buy it like it makes no sense yeah it, it, it goes against their entire mantra as well i mean they don't just do that yeah, that's not that's not a move they've ever done. And we've discussed that in the past with the acquisition of Housemark and the expected acquisition of Bluepoint that which, you know, some people think that Bluepoint acquisition is somehow tied into this blue box thing, which I don't I don't know about that. But Sony's very deliberate, maybe annoyingly so, maybe to the detriment of potential growth, but they are deliberate and took them, what, 20 years to buy Insomniac. So. All right. Oh, one more thing. Seth Bain wrote in. And he says, hey, CDC. So the other day, my girlfriend asked if I wanted to split a Kit Kat. And of course, I said yes. So imagine the intense frigid shiver that went down my spine when instead of splitting the Kit Kat down the perforated chocolate between the two pieces, she ripped both pieces in half at once. That's right. She went hamburger style instead of hot dog. I simply refused the candy as any sane man would. And she had the audacity to be confused as to why I no longer wanted it. Do I really need to explain to this woman that what she did was borderline domestic terrorism? 
Thanks. Now, I'm not a Kit Kat fan. This made me laugh when I read it. I was curious if it's as egregious as it sounds. Uh, Chris, do you have any insight? I love Kit Kats, but like, I also think, uh, I don't know. It's not just eat the chocolate, man. Just come on. <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. I, I do think, listen, breaking it in half that way is very bizarre, but you still get to break your half as many times as you otherwise would have. What I, what I can't abide by is people who bite into it. Hell yeah. Like that. Like people who bite into like, there's like two, like the two ones at the end and they just like bite into the top of both of them. And like, a, like a savage, that's disgusting. Like I can't be around mm. that person, but break it however you want to break it. I just, I just want, I just want some Kit Kats. Like it's, I'm, I'm fine. See, I don't know. The, the Kit Kat is so easy to break. Right. There's no. It's made uh, to be broken. I was under the assumption. Yeah, literally. Right. Like it, it would be more inconvenient for her to, <laughs> to break it against, like against its design. You know. See, it sounds like maybe uh, I don't know. She sounds a little chaotic, which, you know, I might that might be might be interesting. That might be fun, but. You know, Holly gets mad at me because every once in a while we'll get like there's the the Twizzlers that you peel right. You like peel the little strands or whatever. And I just bite into those because to sit and peel each one of those out, it's like an activity like you got to you're going to be in for the long haul. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to take a bite out of this. And she gets very upset. Hmm. But I'm like, listen, there's a utility aspect that I just can't be sitting here peeling this for who knows how long. Okay, let me ask you this then, because mm. this is this is problematic. If if what I'm thinking is true, I'm ready to do, be canceled. Do you do you bite into string cheese? Yes. Oh, definitely. Oh my fucking god! Just mm, three bites and you're done. Right down the gullet, no problem, dude. Oh my god, man! All right. <laughs> I just don't have, dude. You just like how much when you pull off a little string, it's just like mm, that's a little a little taste, I guess. In my, you know, it's not even. I don't know. I just <laughs> it's meant to be peeled. It's like literally like the point of it, like literally the flavor profile changes when you peel it as opposed yeah, to when no, you just maybe bite I, into it. Just a little, just a little bite. It's about efficiency, Chris. You know, sometimes some things in life, you just got to go for it. Isn't that what Jim says in the office? There's like a quote. He's like, yeah, I just started going for it. Uh, and he bites the string cheese. Someone on the office. But I don't know, man. I think None I don't know if Colin's OK. okay. He's 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 gone. He's gone dark on us. Yeah, he's numb. Yeah, I mean, I'm numb for a lot of different reasons in life. <laughs> you know, you experience a lot of things, but I understand. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and pick apart your eating habits. You know what my thing has been the last month or two, actually, is everything like spice or whatever, like in the can, you know, like or in the bottle and just making French fries and just putting that all over the fries and dipping it in ketchup. So it's like everything French fries. Mm. That's good. That's not even controversial. I want to bring it back down to earth yeah. a little bit. Okay. Good. So, uh, Seth, thank you for writing in. I don't know. I, I will say this. We are we are certainly fomenting one of the most mentally challenged audiences in <laughs> podcast history. I mean, Seth, God bless you. I hear you. I, feel, I don't say that as an insult. I say that as an apology. You understand what I'm saying? I don't say that as an insult. I say it as an apology. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, 
you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Now let's move on to what we're playing. <laughs> Chris, let's start with you. It says you're playing a Plague Tale Innocence, and it takes two. What say you? Yeah, so I finished a Plague Tale actually uh, over the over the week, and I think actually like I finished it I think uh, two days ago, and it was like I, I gotta say. Plague Tale actually took me by surprise. I, I ended up really liking it once I had enough time to like sit down with it and like get through it. Really solid game, really good looking game. And it's just it, it plays really well. And the story's actually really engaging and I like the characters a lot. The only issue that I had with the Plague Tale was that every time like I was getting to the point where I was like, this is really good, it would throw this annoying sequence at me. Because like there are certain points in that game that like kind of make you engage in combat. But it's a stealth game, and it's very clearly not built around that. So it just feels like the game's, like, being antithetical to its own design by, like, putting you in these, like, weird set pieces where you gotta, like, awkwardly, like, prepare a sling to, like, hit some guy who's, like, charging at you. And then I had this one sequence in, like, a burning church or a burning building where, like, this AI dude was like, I'm, I'm trying to get the door open or something. And these dudes kept coming at me single file. Like, the AI was not meant for combat. And <laughs> I I nailed, like, six of these dudes. And I was like, what's going on? Like, is this, like, just how this sequence is supposed to be? Like, forever in perpetuity? Am I in limbo? And then I ran out of rocks and died. And then arbitrarily, the next time it happened, I got t- three of them. And then the AI opened the door. And it's like, mm. I, little things like that every now and again really infuriated me and like certain certain like reuses of certain puzzles to like seemingly like stretch the game out a little bit there were certain points in that game where i was like come on but i did finish it and i did walk away with an ultimately like mostly positive experience and i do think it's worth checking out especially because it's you know free for this month but i really liked it i I think it's i think it's good it's got problems it's a smaller studio it's a smaller game so with that in mind, you can kind of forgive a little bit of uh, a couple of the hiccups uh, that maybe I went through. But it's a really solid game. I'm actually looking forward to the to the sequel, and hopefully they can iron out those those kinks and and make something that's a little bit more uh, a little bit more uh, robust as far as you know gameplay experiences. I know that in the trailer for the new one, there's like a crossbow on the main character, so it's like okay, good. That's way better than slinging a rock real slow. <laughs> and being forced into combat scenarios when it's clearly not supposed to be that. But but I, I do like it. I do recommend it. It Takes Two, I just started last night with a with a friend of mine who's visiting. And uh, <laughs> it's it's It Takes Two is surprising because it's actually stellar. Like, it is actually an amazing video game. Like, the level design, the character, like, the tone, it's all really amazing to the point where it's like, this is possibly like game of the year type stuff like actually it's incredible like it's really creative it's really fun it's like paced 
immaculately. Like, I never felt like anything was, like, overstaying its welcome. I never felt, like, stuck on a puzzle or, like, stuck on, like, some weird, like, AI hiccup. And the way that you're supposed to cooperate with the person you're playing with is, like, super creative and, like, really interesting. There's this... There's this one really amazing sequence where you're like flying, you're like, you're flying this like makeshift plane and, you know, your friend, uh, the person you're playing with has to shoot, but then somebody jumps onto the plane and then the player two is like engaging in this like 2D fighting game where there's like Hadoukens and it's like on top of the plane and I'm flying it. So like I control like where the level goes and it's like, this is crazy cool. And it's, like, just a very imaginative game. I'm only, like, I think three hours into it, but uh, it is genuinely surprising how how much I ended up liking this, even just as, you know, I'm not near near the end or anything, but it, it is a promising game, and I'm, I'm actually shocked at how good it is. A lot of people have been... You know, I'm not a multiplayer guy, so it kind of just falls on deaf ears no matter what for me. But I, I think people have genuinely, been talking that one up. Yeah, I think genuinely like I know you're not a multiplayer person, but I think if you if you and Micah played it, th- I think you guys would. Li- it's amazing. Yeah, like, um, I, just, I think I, I think, I, think notes, so. I think you would appreciate it just from like creativity and like level design and like just characterization and like tone. I think I think you would really like it because I didn't think I would like it either. I usually hate like couch co-op stuff or like it, it reminds me of like overcooked or, or like stuff like that where it's like oh my god why can't you just why can't you just do what i'm trying to tell you to do but it's it's not that hard it's like challenging enough where it's like ooh, interesting and, and you feel kind of smart for figuring things out but it, it never like it never puts you in this like annoying box where you're just like i hit a wall i don't know what to do side note yeah before i forget i actually i used game help a lot for uh not It Takes oh. Two, but Plague Tale. And I actually found oh. it helpful, which is like the first time that that's happened. So cool. The game help in, in Plague Tale is actually really good. Nice. I like that feature a lot. And at to- the times I've consulted it, first party only, I think it's been pretty good. Yeah, for sure. I had to, I had to consult it. I had to consult it because there were so many times where I was like, is it broken? Yeah. <laughs> like, am I in a am, am I just in a time loop? I, I know that. Um more developers are getting interested in in it i know that one of the reasons axiom verge 2 is not on ps5 yet is because they want to leverage the help system which mm-hmm. isn't necessary on the ps4 version yeah chris oh, i'm sorry dustin rather uh i, I said chris because i read halo but it says here dustin oh, yeah. halo 1 and 2 and mm-hmm. then of course tales of arise which we'll talk about but start with hail uh halo 1 and 2 what's going on uh, over there i've decided that it's time for the replay before Halo Infinite, because there was once a time that uh, your boy Dustin was a Halo mega fan. Not maybe not on Chris's level, but there was once a time like I remember before Halo 2 came out. And I remember I think I had a dream about when when Halo 2 would come out. I was so excited for that game. And so I thought it's time. Let's go through these games once again. And I'm playing, of course, on the Master Chief Collection on my series X and it's been a pretty good time. Halo one holds up pretty well, not, mm. not perfectly, which I, I got some pushback on Twitter when I said that I was like, this is a game, you know, it's, it's great. It's one of the greatest of all time. No doubt. It revolutionized what a shooter could be, especially for consoles. No doubt. It is, it is a King for that. 
But it, it, it has aged the poorest of those games, like without without a shadow of a doubt. I love that game, but like it's the one I played the least. Dude, it's so apparent too because I I jumped right into two after finishing one, and I was like, man, this is this is it. This is already like worlds better as far as the the feel of the combat. But I will point out, and I I said this when I I tweeted, but I want to emphasize that if you decide to replay these games, uh, don't. On Halo 1, don't use the remastered graphics. They are technically, of course, look good from like a lighting and visual, but they they mess with the art assets and it's like weird. It's not quite right. And Chris, I know you feel strongly about this. Yeah, it's as not well. good. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it, I think it's borderline ugly. I think it's better. It, it's it's look, it's it's also like a juxtaposition thing, too, where it's like you're playing this game that feels far more dated, but it looks like it came out in like 2011. It's like a, like an unreal engine game. It's like, it's just this weird wires get crossed in your brain. You're like, this doesn't, this feels extra wrong now, but if it looks like this dinky little 2001, like, you know, polygonal mess at right. the very least that fits with how like dated it plays, you know, yeah. like it's, it's not as jarring and it's also just better with the original graphics. I think like the art team had like very de- deliberate choices that were made that were kind of like thrown aside when, they remastered it which is unfortunate right uh, two looks gorgeous though two's remastered is is very good very very good and i'm it, i'm still like hopping between the two because it lets you switch instantly between the remastered and the old graphics and so it's just so fun because i have so many memories of all the locations in this game and to be like whoa like the back and forth is really fun whoa. yeah whoa. whoa just like that but other than that, you know, I'm I'm having a great time. It, Colin, I did think of of something you had said as I was playing these. I was like, man, imagine if these games came out on PlayStation, uh, the Master Chief Collection, if they had eventually had done that. Yeah, I think that I feel like it would have been effective. Like I know that some people would have, uh, you know, the Xbox fans, the the fanboys in particular, would have seen it as a blow to lose that uh, those games as exclusive. But I'm like, so many people would have played these. And then be like, man, maybe I should get an Xbox Series X for for Halo Infinite or something like yeah. that. And never that conversation is never went past, uh, you know, the what ifs. Right. And I heard that way back in 2014. So that was a different Microsoft and a different time, certainly in their tale. But yeah, it would have been very interesting. Halo 1 and Halo 2 are the only ones I've played, I think. Yeah, I don't think that I played any other ones. Those would, were on the original Xbox, I had, which I played quite yeah, a bit, actually. Yeah, th- that would make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that, and I'm sure I'll have updates as I progress. I I think I'm going to skip Reach and ODST. Not, I've played them before, but I'm just trying to get through the core story that leads up to Infinite. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've, don't worry, everybody. I've, I've played it. It's okay. But man, I have to suffer through Halo Four, which is not uh, well. Halo Four's campaign was pretty good. It's five. It's five. The one you play as Locke. Oh, are you actually gonna play that one? Oh, God bless you. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm dedicated. I'm gonna do one through five. So, all right, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how that goes, dude. Four, man. Um. Anyway, the Tales of Arise demo. Wait, I wait, wait this... before you say anything more about yes. Tales. Philip yes. Sinclair wrote into us about this. Oh, CDC. We had a right. Colin, did you play the Tales of Arise demo? If so, what did you think? The combat feels really tight, and I can't wait for launch next month. Thanks for all you do. So the Tales demo is on uh, PS4 and PS5 right now. I'm not playing it because I am i don't care. I mean, I'm just going to... I bought the game already. So it's, uh, you know, in the little preload clock thing. 
So uh, I haven't, but I know a lot of people have, and they're quite positive about it. Dustin, how are you feeling about it? I feel great. I have the only Tales game that I even put even a little bit of time into was Tales of Zisteria, which apparently is the worst one. Yeah, and one, so definitely, definitely one of the weakest ones. It's unfortunate. So I was like, you know what? This one looks good. It looks very promising. I like all of the the trailers I've seen. I was already pretty sure that this was a game I was going to pick up and play, but the demo I was feeling hearing really good things about. And so I, I decided to, to peep it. And what's nice is this game, this demo is very light on story. In fact, it just kind of like loads you into one of the semi open worlds or whatever you want to call it for, for tales and lets you just kind of, run around and experience combat and there's like a few quests that you can do i didn't even do the whole demo but the strongest things about this demo for me were first of all the graphics are amazing like really really good they were able to nail this watercolor painting type look that almost like a it's like a good version of Babylon's fall. <laughs> like what we saw of that was just trying to be like kind of a pain. It's yeah. not too much. It's just there enough that when you're like, Oh, I can see that, that kind of art style that they're going for. And they really did a nice job. I was playing on the performance mode, which runs at 60 FPS. I had no problems with frame rate. I'm not sure if it's perfect, but, and the combat was, was really fun, engaging. And this just seems like a really, good action jrpg to sink my teeth into it hit all the right notes the music the world the bright colors the anime aesthetic i'm in i'm excited and this isn't too far off this is like september 5th i think september 5th oh it's even sooner i think i think something like that yeah look at look it up for me real quick yeah i'll do i'll go ahead and do that but we did get another question the real deli wrote in and said hi dad so recently the tales of arise demo released and having really no interest in the series ever i tried it out because of how much you bring up the series to my surprise i enjoyed it a lot I was just wondering if I should hop in the series here or go back and play some of the older games. Being our resident Tales expert, please guide me to the light, Dad. Anywho, I hope you guys are uh, are. I hope you guys have a horrible rest of your day. That's not nice. That's not very Damn. Nice. What did you look it up? Yeah, it's uh, September 9th. 9th, Okay. Yeah. Well, I was a little off there. I'm really looking forward to it too. Now to the real Deli's question: Tales games stand alone, just like Final Fantasy games do. As I've said before, unless there's a, a literal sequel like Tales of Destiny 2, whatever, Tales of Exilia 2, they're, they're apart from each other and they just share elements. So you can really play them in any order. There's no reason why you wouldn't be able to play Tales of Arise by itself. The unfortunate reality, though, is that the last two Tales games before this, Berseria and Zisteria, are not well regarded. A lot of that has to do with them trying to change the format of the games a little bit. And Hideo Baba, who is the longtime producer of the games was uh had left at that time so they used to get a tales game out as you remember like every 18 months or two years and they stopped at that point they started taking longer the game started doing worse and then the tales team actually disbanded so this is the first tales game in a long time i think this is the first tales game in five or six years which is like they would have gotten four of them out in that time period back in the day so i think it's going to have to your point dustin very strong production value and i think they're going to try to make it a strong pillar because Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest are the big guys, but Persona is like the the one underneath it. And I think Tales can become more like Persona. I think that they kind of got lapped. I think Tales was bigger than Persona until Persona 4 Golden. So 
anyway, uh, I wanted to just acknowledge that a lot of people are excited about it. A lot of people are writing in about it. I'm personally excited about it. But Real Deli, play them in any order you want. I personally love Destiny, Symphonia, and Exilia the best. Symphonia and Exilia are both on PS3 if you want to play them. Although Symphonia was originally on GameCube. Destiny is a PS1 game. So you have a lot of options there. As far as the games I'm playing, I'm still playing that Ender Lily's Quietest of the Nights. I'm about 20 hours in now. It's a Metroidvania. It's like one part Castlevania, one part Limbo, uh, just in its aesthetic. You know, it's got a little bit of Hollow Knight in it and all the rest. It's really quite good. I like it a lot. It's also hard. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm over leveled. I think I'm like level 85 or something like that. And I haven't beaten the oh. game. And I think the cap is 100. The one problem this game has, though, is that it doesn't communicate its data very well. This is another game that doesn't do some of the little things well. Some of it, it does really nicely, like the quick travel system is really cool, etc. But the map doesn't communicate well. And I think I said this last week, but I just don't like design and Metroidvania 2D Metroidvanias of going in and out of things rather going left and right into things. So like sometimes mm-hmm. I get lost in an area and I'm like, where the fuck is the door to go right? But it's there isn't a door right. You have to look for the door in the background and then press like L2 over it to go into it. I'm like, I didn't even know. Yeah. Why would I know? So there's just little communicative things like that that are wrong. But I'm getting close to the end. I got the first like dud ending, which I think is an ode to Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which famously is probably the game that most famously does that to you where it makes you think that you beat it. And in fact, a lot of people thought they did beat it and just never went and played the rest of the game, which is the best. But this game does a similar thing. I'm really having fun with it. I think it's a little expensive, but recommended to Metroidvania fans. And then on Vita at night, I've been playing Demon's Tier Plus, which is just a really fun twin stick shooter. You are in this small town and there's a hole in the middle of the town and you go into the hole and try to get deeper and deeper through this dungeon. And then you you have to extract yourself voluntarily to get your money out, which you use to upgrade your characters, unlock new classes, etc. and so on. But if you die in the dungeon, you lose all your stuff. So it's very you know demon souls like in that regard but it's it's easy it's fun it's just something i'm playing while i watch my uh, random youtube videos at night so that's all i'm checking out also i'm messing around with metal gear solid 2 but we're doing a knockback on that so i'll just save that conversation for them but i'm swinging back in i mean the frustrating thing for me right now is that there are now games starting to stack up axiom verge 2 as i said last week uh, dodgeball academia tales is on the horizon death loop comes out i think three or four days after tales comes out mm-hmm. so now we're getting into a more crowded space and uh gotta yeah. be a little bit more deliberate so i gotta get back in thank you everyone for writing in it's time to get into the news boys now this first piece of news broke right before we started recording today and it's serendipitous it did because i think it's a big piece of news i also think a lot of people aren't even noticing that it was published and it gives us something more tangible to talk about that has nothing to do with uh, abandon. So let's get into it. Number one, what the hell happened to Sony's internal Manchester studio? Well, thanks to an interesting article on website Polygon, we now know a bit more. For the uninitiated, Manchester studio was a Sony-owned first-party team that was quietly founded in 2015. You'll recall at the time that Sony had neither purchased or opened a new studio of consequence for some time even then. So there were some questions as to why the studio was kept so secretive, even after it was revealed through job listings. But we did know what the team was working on, which was a PSVR title. And with sister studio Guerrilla Cambridge also working on one, a game that would come out and become Riggs, it made sense. PSVR came out in 2016, so did Riggs, and then Guerrilla Cambridge went goodbye. Then, in 2020, so did Manchester Studio without so much as announcing a game. Thanks to this article, we now know that the team spent their entire five years in existence under bad leadership and never even left pre-production. 
But we do know that they were working on, we do know now what they were working on. It was a game called Czar or Combat Search and Rescue, and that's C-S-A-R. They called it Rescue internally, and the idea was that you'd play as a helicopter pilot flying missions, completing objectives, and then returning to your aircraft carrier base. But there was a problem, leadership. The team was led by three guys, studio director Sam Coates and Sony's own Eric Matthews and Mark Green. The team worked closely with Sony's well-respected London studio, but the disparate leadership structure and distance between the teams and decision makers made progress comically slow, stilted by redesigns and reworkings. Since the team never got above 30 people, Sony let them do their thing, particularly under Shuhei Yoshida, who was head of the Sony's first-party teams for most of this period. However, when Gorilla's co-founder Herman Hulse took over for Shuhei, he shut the team down. So, uh, Dustin, I want to kick this one over to you first, actually. This story is interesting. If you're a PlayStation fan, you should definitely go read it on Polygon. We shit on Polygon all the time. We should give them props for this. They spoke to five people that worked on Czar, and we know about this game a little bit for the first time. This answers, I think, two questions that we've had about PlayStation VR. Uh, or one question about PSVR, one question about leadership, let's say. The first is, where were the fucking first party games for PSVR? Well, this was one of them, and it never came out. The second is, how did they let this go on for so long? without even getting out of pre-production? And the answer is is twofold, I guess. Number one is they were small and cheap. And the second thing is, is that maybe this contributed to Shuhei Yoshida seemingly being demoted since this happened under his tutelage. So that's uh, speculation, but I'm curious what you think about this new, uh, new story from Polygon. It's interesting that this would be the pitch for a first-party game. It doesn't sound like the type of game that would be uh, a mass market appeal. I mean, it sounds cool. The idea of flying around in a helicopter and doing rescue stuff in, in VR sounds neat enough, but I'm just surprised that if if Sony was trying to get a studio, uh, albeit a small one, to make PSVR games, that this would be the approved direction. So... I don't know. Do you think that, though, Colin, I guess you brought up the idea that this could be part of why Shuhei uh, got demoted. But I don't know. I'm. Let's see. The, the team never got above 30 people. So, again, cheap for Sony standards, but it is still a lot of money going out the window for however many years for for no reason. I guess oh, I, I wonder. Mean, I mean, all told, I mean, I assume this project cost them tens of millions of dollars. N- nothing catastrophic, but certainly something. Sure. Yeah, I'm wondering, did did the because I didn't get to see the Polygon article. Did, did they ever say how far along? Like, is there like a, a playable? Well, no, never left pre-production, you said. Right. Yeah. N- yeah. It, it was never out of pre-production. And if you read about Sam Coates and I'm not trying to insult him at all, but Sam Coates was at Sony for a long time and he was he actually worked at Team Soho, which is like the legendary shuttered now Sony London kind of imprint that did the getaway and he did like he was like an artist on those games and stuff but he was basically like a usability guy for the most part at Sony so like people that would look at telemetry and user data and stuff like that and somehow found himself in charge of a team like I I, I just think it was an ill fit and I also think that when you read about some of the guys from Sony so like guys like Eric Matthews and those dudes apparently were like moonlighting basically at the studio while also working at Sony on like different things in like the first party vertical. So these guys would apparently come in according to the story and just rework shit. Like they would even tell people if they were working on like art, you know, like when you're done with a piece of art 
you might save like the PSD in Photoshop, but you'll flatten right. it and then make it into like a PNG or whatever for its use. Like they would basically tell them, like, keep all of the assets open so that we can come in ourselves, like literally the dudes that run the studio and like rework parameters of what, what they were doing. And um, so they had like massive turnover apparently because of this and they never locked in the the concept beyond this early stage. And since we saw rigs so early, as you'll recall, that was like the big pre-release game that we would play at E3 and and all of that. This game must have been fucked. I mean, monumentally fucked. But what's unfortunate is I actually think it does sound cool. It sounds it sounds like a platform that you could have expanded on. And I like the name. You know, Zara, I think, is a really cool name for a game like as it being an acronym. Chris, what do you uh, make of this situation with Manchester Studio and the kind of ignominious way in which they went away? I'm most curious to think if either of you also think that this has anything to do with Shuhei's seeming demotion, because I just refuse to believe that he's like, oh, I'm the head of first party studios. Now I'm going to be the head of independent game development. It's like, oh, okay. Like, so you so you go from the two hundred million dollar game to the five million dollar game. It's like, I don't think that that was voluntary. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that must be that that must have some sort of impact on that decision. Right. I mean, you don't have that studio was around for how long before they shut it down? That's an insane five, five years. That is an insane amount of time to keep a studio open. That is that has never left pre-production. Like that is kind that is genuinely astounding. Like I don't know how many people could I don't know how many teams could get away with that really. I I, I mean I guess I guess Media Molecule kinda sorta with Dreams, sort of. But like Dreams was at least like they at least showed Dreams a long time ago before it was playable. I, I don't know. I, I would imagine that this definitely had something to do with it. I don't know if it was like the main reason or or what, but it's inconceivable that this wouldn't have some effect on, you know, Sony's decision to, you know, have him maybe do something else. Yeah. Well, think about think about this. We also know about what happened with Jason Mumbauer now, the guy who ran the San Diego Shadow team, basically, that was working on Uncharted and The Last of Us, all that kind of stuff. And that kind of got all fucked, too. That also happened under Shuhei Yoshida. Yeah. And both of those teams seem to have been evaporated silently around the time Herman Hulse came in and that was either his directive or he looked at the books and was like, what the fuck is going on here? And I don't mean the I shouldn't say the books. I mean, he, he's looking at like the staffing and being like, why we have what are they doing? You know, what like what are these guys doing? And it's so strange because they were kind of cutthroat with their other teams under Shuhei Yoshida. So something changed at some point because they got rid of Guerrilla Cambridge under Shuhei Yoshida and they delivered a game in rigs. They got rid of Evolution and they delivered a game. Yeah. So I think people were like, mm, this is kind of when you really think about Shuhei in this time, it's like it has been there were a lot of his successes, but certainly a lot of fucked up. Not a lot, but some pretty fucked up games. I mean, Drive Club was botched, totally broken for like a year. Yeah. And it was delayed before it even came out and uh, and so on and so forth. So I think this I think there's something here. Do you do you think so, Dustin, that there's a connection here? Or am I finding something where there isn't anything? No, I think that that makes sense. I guess. I don't know. Is we see at the same time, like the the Shuhei demotion or whatever happened, happened around the same time. Was it the same time that Herman Hulse got his promotion at the same yeah, I think time Herman as Hulse Jim was, Ryan? Yeah, I think that was all probably. I think that all. Yeah, I think that was all, right. Well, no, right. I think what I think ended up happening and people don't have to write about this because it's not that important. But I think it was earlier that year that that Layden left. And then I think Jim Ryan was announced later that year to come in. And then I think all of the shakeups underneath him happened. So I think it might even have been his call. 
Right. Well, I could see Jim Ryan looking at everything and, you know, he's the guy that needs to have the vision for the company. And he may have reviewed some of these different things. And I I would I would like to believe that it wouldn't just be like, you know, it's not just one thing or like the the just the negative aspects. It's he may be like, well, we had a lot of success with Shuhei handling these things, but we also have these negative aspects. And we also want to move in this triple A blockbuster direction. And Herman Holst is the head of a studio that made one of those titles for us. And he's got the chops that I think will work for my vision, whereas opposed to Shuhei, maybe not. So I could understand there being total shakeup at the top when you have a new guy that's in charge of the direction of the company. So is it a factor, I guess, to, to boil things down? Most likely. I, you'd have to imagine. I mean, that's a pretty big change to change the head of your worldwide studios, right? So surely they were looking at the the positive and negatives. You don't get rid of somebody who's doing everything right uh, yeah. unless for like that would make no sense. Yeah, you don't you don't fire like Matt Stone and Trey Parker, you know, right, right exactly. And it's also worth noting. I mean, although I love Days Gone, I mean, Days Gone was like one of those last games, I think, in that era, certainly greenlit and given the, the long run. But so, too, was Ghost of Tsushima, and The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two and God of War reboot and Horizon, although I think that they were so interested in Horizon and Herman Hulse specifically because he was involved so deeply in that. And I think he wanted to bring that or they wanted to bring that spirit to others. I'm so interested. I don't have that close relationship with Shuhei like I used to. I mean, I used to go to I used to go out to dinner with Shuhei Yoshida in Japan when I when I'd see him there. We're not on that basis anymore, but I would love to ask him because it would be interesting. In fact, I don't know if I ever told the story on this show, but I, I met him a few times for dinner and he would he would send me this like or his secretary would send me this just document that was in Japanese with like a Google map and everything. And they would just say like, hand this to your taxi driver. And then, and then I guess it was Whoa. like the name of the store and the directions. And so I'd be like, I just, you know, like, and they'd like nod or whatever. And then they'd bring me and then they would just point me to where I needed to go. It was kind of funny. It was cool. Hmm. That's crazy. All right. Number two, this just happened before we started recording as well. Although we knew it was going to happen. I don't know how much we have to talk about it, but I'll be interested to see what everyone has to say. Number two, we finally have details about this year's new Call of Duty, including the confirmation of its name, its pricing, and when it will launch. Call of Duty Vanguard comes to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on November 5th. It'll cost $59.99 on PS4 and $69.99 on PS5, the latter also netting you the PS4 version. The game has three core modes, a single-player campaign, a sizable multiplayer suite, obviously, and then a zombies mode as well. The game is being led by Sledgehammer, the Activision-owned team that also co-developed 2011's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 and 2020's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, and alone developed 2014's Call of Duty Advanced Warfare and 2017's Call of Duty World War II. This game returns to World War II. Four Activision-owned teams are in support uh, on Vanguard. Beanox, High Moon, Raven, and Treyarch. I have it here written as Beanbox. That's not right. <laughs> There's more information on PlayStation Blog. That has been posted since we started recording. Just a few notable things. There are four main characters in the game. So kind of a battlefield-like approach to this. Sergeant Arthur Kingsley of the British. Lieutenant Polina Petrova of the Red Army, the Soviets. Lieutenant Wade Jackson of the U.S. Navy. And Private Lucas Riggs of the British 8th Army. So two British reps. One American, one Soviet. And there'll be 20 multiplayer maps at launch, which is quite impressive. 
And it'll it says it'll be the first ever zombies crossover experience, quote, discover the unspeakable horrors of the precursor to Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War zombies while holding off the relentless onslaught of the undead. Led in development by Treyarch, the cooperative experience continues the dark ether story to create deeply engaging lore, all while innovating the core gameplay that the mode is famous for. And this will cross over as usual with Warzone. In fact, the game was announced or in Warzone or revealed in Warzone. Chris, we're going back to World War Two. Sledgehammer's back in the driver's seat, and we have the trio, the trifecta campaign, multiplayer zombies, zombies led by Treyarch, which is good news for people, I think. What do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's another one, you know, like I, I, I it's I'm not I don't mean to like uh, talk shit. I mean, like 20 multiplayer maps is pretty that's pretty significant. Like, that's actually like a really good thing. And uh, it's super important to have that variety at launch. Like, I think a lot of like multiplayer games kind of like fail at that because it's it's really not easy to make a good multiplayer map in the first place. So like when you like when you just have like nine multiplayer maps, you know, you got to make sure that those are those nine are really, you know, really star star maps. But when you have 20, there's a higher chance that like most of those are going to be good. And even if like even if most of them aren't, at least you have variety to the point where you're not like just on the same battlefields over and over and over again. That can be like really, really grating, especially early on in a game's life when it's like supposed to be like really hooking you. So I think that's like really good. Um, I've heard interesting things about this i just i'm not all that enthused by the world war ii setting i feel like i feel like it's just kind of not super interesting um we've seen it a million times i i I was all about it when call of duty world war ii came out because i was like oh it's been a while since we had a world war ii game and then that game came out and it was just like not particularly well regarded and not particularly good so it just kind of soured my taste of like, you know, maybe we maybe we did World War Two enough. So the thought that the thought of them going back to it seems a little bit weird to me. I, I thought they would have done something either a little bit weirder or a little bit more safe in the terms of like maybe like do something more like near future or like modern or I, I don't know, something because they just did Cold War as well. So they they were doing historical stuff for a while. It just seems strange to me that they're going back to World War Two. But, you know, it's another Call of Duty. Um Early on in, in November, I wonder. Yeah, this will now we'll get Halo's release date, I assume. Yeah, for sure. As well. I, and I'm curious as to how, what Call of Duty's release dates usually are. I wonder if this is earlier in the month than normal. I think it is. I think it usually is later, but I could be, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. I, I feel like with Call of Duty, well, it's not weird that, the, I, it is weird that they're going back to World War II, but it's it's weird that Sledgehammer is going back to World War II. You would think that they would want to go, yeah. <laughs> be desperate to do anything else right. but World War II. I'm, I love World War II. I think it is endlessly interesting, and that is why everyone loves World War II, is because it is endlessly interesting. I just don't know why they insist on exploring it so vacuously. Why not explore it from the enemy's point of view why not explore it from the japanese from the nazi from the italian point of view in call of duty Mm -hmm. and i know that it's going to be really hard to do i know it's gonna be very unsavory but there are stories to be told there too there are infantrymen just fighting for their countries in quotes too there i mean it's you could tell some sort of meaningful story that resonates with the audience so it's not so much the return of world war ii that's a bummer it's just the same shit like even the female sniper it's like all right like there was a famous female female soviet sniper obviously that maybe she's based on but we get it 
I think we get it. Like, you know, the, the, I, I just, I also am wondering, I saw that there was a black, this is going to be controversial because I saw that there was a black soldier and I'm like, this is going to be one of those things people are going to have a problem with. You know, there yeah. were black soldiers, but they were not, there were black units. So it's, it's a little ahistoric, but it is Call of Duty. So I, I think we are kind of pulling out problems where people who play these games each month are just going to, or each year rather, are just going to love them. Dustin, what do you have to say about Call of Duty Vanguard coming November 5th? I can't get over this part in the reveal trailer. I'm watching it now. There's a man who's a gunner on a plane who stops using his gun to pull out a pistol and he shoots at another plane and takes it down with his pistol. So, uh, you know, yeah. maybe the black soldier thing, a little unrealistic, but uh, it reminds I think me of um, it's OK. <laughs> it, it reminds me of saving. It, it, do you think it's an ode to saving Private Ryan in some way where Tom Hanks takes out his pistol and shoots at the tank? You know, he keeps shooting maybe. at it. And you know what I'm talking about? That scene? I do remember the, the, he's that. Yeah. On, there's, he's on the bridge and he keeps shooting it and then it explodes on one of his shots and he's like amazed, but then it's like a bazooka from yeah. behind him. Maybe. Maybe. Ode to that. I don't know. I love I that don't shot. Know. It could be. But I'm, I, I, I'm with Chris. Oh, go ahead, Chris. No, I, I'm just surprised that they were doing that, the, that they were so they were leaning so heavily into the, like the ahistorical thing because like that was a huge thing that Battlefield 5 got a lot of flack for. You know, right. like, it's just like because it was like a female soldier with like a robot arm or, so, or like a, not a robot <laughs> arm, but like a. Like a prosthetic that was like very clearly yeah, like ridiculous. Yeah, and, and it's it's ridiculous because the Soviets definitely had tons of women, but not in the other ar- militaries. It's just I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. I you mean, want to be inclusive and I stuff, mean, but it, it it's not maybe. I'm not saying I'm not saying it matters. Like I could give a shit. Uh, these these aren't really historical games, really. Like it's it Call of Duty sure. and like Battlefield. Or let's calm down a little bit. You know, people are like sprinting across battlefields and hide like. Pl- plopping like fucking mines on tanks and like blowing them up and like diving into it's ridiculous people jumping out of windows eight stories high it's it's never been like particularly realistic but i'm just surprised that they would do that given you know the the reaction that battlefield 5 had and and just how battlefield 5 was a mess for like way more substantial reasons like gameplay decisions and like actual design decisions but you know, so maybe that's not really their concern, but I, I, I'm I'm looking through some of the Twitter responses to this, and a lot of people that I know that make Call of Duty videos, like make reviews and stuff, and like are really big into that scene. There's not really a lot of care. Like with the first tweet I saw, I was right. like, "Does anybody really give a shit about Call of Duty Vanguard?" And this is somebody who plays every single Call of Duty, which is like wild. So I'm cu- I'm curious as to how like like how it's resonating. Right. I think, Colin, this might be a good time for a a gut check that we are trying to do more of these. Okay, so it seems like based on I'm looking at the YouTube comments as well, that people are not excited, particularly about it being World War Two, which we've known this probably for, you know, for a while. The rumors have pointed to this. So the gut check is will what how will this Call of Duty do financially? Or, you know, what what will the reception be like? My theory is that it will still sell and be the top seller. But when you compare it to the last two years of Call of Duty, it will be less. Uh, I feel like it's it's a bad move to bet against Call of Duty. Even if the public perception is is low, I think that it will still be top dog. Yeah, I I feel like it's going to be almost indistinguishable because I was going to I think there's another thing that is important here, which is how the reaction to Activision 
and everything that's going on there mm. may affect this game. We know that some websites won't even cover it. I don't think it's going to matter. I really think what we're going to find out is that this game is going to completely be a Cold War style domination of the charts. Yeah. I don't think you're going to find anything breaking its stranglehold. It's just the way it is. I think it's Call of Duty. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think I would be a little concerned about World War Two shooters if I was a fan, just because it limits your your weapons so much. Like you're not getting many truly automatic weapons and stuff like M1 Garands are fucking awesome to shoot, but maybe not the most satisfying gun in a shooter. So there's that. But Chris, I'm wondering, where would you want a game to take place? Because I think one of the things that Activision cannot do with Call of Duty is what would make it most interesting, which is to make a future war against China. But mm -hmm. they which would be fucking dope. Oh, they're yeah. always picking on the Russians. They have no problem picking on the Russians, which is totally fine. But they can't go and be like, let's make a Call of Duty about the invasion of Taiwan and like the American defense of it or something. Or imagine getting really crazy and like the liberation of the 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 Uyghur, you know, yeah, yeah. prisoners and shit, <laughs> like all these crazy. They can't do it. No. So it, it, you have to either do this like almost dumb you either have to go to the Middle East, which is boring. You have to go to like Southeast Asia, which is too much in China's backyard. You can do cool stuff in Africa, but then people are going to accuse you of being racist. Same thing with South America and Central America. So the only thing you can really do is go backwards. And then no one wants to talk about Vietnam. I think Iraq Call of Duty would be dope, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. So here you are. I mean, I just think it's it's a little tired, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it feels like they just don't have any real wiggle room at all. Like, uh, obviously, they're an Activision company, which means they, they're, they're not going to do anything critical of China ever. So that's that 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 entire half of the world is pretty much just like out of bounds. It, it's just it's interesting to me that they just never because there is no World War One Call of Duty game, is there? But there's a there's a Battlefield World War One game. And like, it's like one of the best ones. Like Battlefield One is awesome. <laughs> like it's so good. It's just shocking to me that they just keep going back to World War Two when they just never even bothered with that that other one. I guess I guess Call of Duty's gum gameplay doesn't really like World War One doesn't necessarily facilitate it in the same way that it facilitates Battlefields. But I don't know. You just just anything anything else. You know. Yeah. I, I just yeah, don't know. I, I, I just don't know what new things could be could really be done in world war two now like what do you was it going to be a hero shooter like i i just don't yeah, understand <laughs> like I, even the even the the avenues in which they get into world war two are just boring like we don't see too much from africa we don't see too much from italy yeah there's shit going on in the middle east there's shit going on in china and korea uh, i just there's a lot there but it does seem like they're and, and naturally so you're attracted to the pacific you're attracted to europe you're attracted. i mean i get it but it is a little disappointing and i I look backwards and I'm like, well, man, a Korea, but you don't, you can't do Korea. Why? Because of China. You can't do Vietnam. Why? Because of China. I'm telling you that that's why those games aren't happening, you know, yeah. right now. So it's, it's too bad. You know, it really is. It's too bad. It reminds me of what MGM did to the Red Dawn reboot when they changed all the Chinese flags to like North Korean flags. And it's like, well, you just ruined the fucking movie. It doesn't even make any sense now. And I, I would I wish a triple A studio would just be like, we're making a world war or we're making rather a big FPS about fighting China. I think that would be pretty neat as well. And then when they go in the future in other ways, I think I think advanced warfare was like their least favorite since world at war, probably. So I think they're I think you're right. I think they're in between a rock and a hard place. And I still say the Middle East is where they need to go. Go to the Middle East.
Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what's going on there in Afghanistan right now. Now, Fallujah is not in Afghanistan. That was during the Iraq war. But think about how much more prescient that's going to be now with everything that's going on. I think we got to get involved now in that in that theater as well. Colin, one more thing yeah. I just uncovered sure. about Call of Duty Vanguard on the Microsoft storefront. The Ultimate Edition will take up 270 gigabytes on wow, Series X. That's just ridiculous, dude. Like, bruh. That is so fucking egregious. Dude, if you got a Series S, that's literally, that's like more than half of of what your your internal storage. Wait, is it 250 or is it 500 for the Series S? I don't know. I think it's still a terabyte, isn't it? Uh, let's see. Storage on Series S. Well, you know. I feel like, like it's, I can't I remember. Wrong, it's either know. 250 or, or half a terabyte. I don't think it has the full terabyte in there. That's the one of the ways they like made it uh cheaper. But Huh. But man, I, I wonder I mean that's for the Xbox. We don't know what the PlayStation version is. I'd have to assume that it's uh pretty close. But man, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> that like, it's that it's that big for any platform is ridiculous. Like compress your files, dude. Like I, I do they not know how to do that? Like, I, I don't know what's going on with with Call of Duty games. Like, they just don't know how to compress. Every other game just understands how to, like, not take up 150, 200, 2 million gigabytes. But for whatever reason, they just can't figure out. It's just like, this is how we've always done it. Ah, Right. <laughs> I guess we'll just keep doing it. It's baffling. That is so much. Games Radar, this is from before launch. Series S reportedly has 364 gigabytes of storage for games and apps. Yeah, that's uh, it. That's okay, well, it's so it's a 512 internal, and then uh, after the OS, you have three 364. So then if you want to install Call of Duty on that bad boy, that's going to take up 270 gigabytes. Oh, man. It's not getting any better out there. No. No. All right, this next one is interesting. This was before the stories that we just read was going to be the top story today on our show, and I think it's going to give us a lot to talk about, but we'll see. Number three, data mining YouTube channel Specializer. I think I'm saying that right. Quietly released a video showing off some really interesting items that appear to be left over in The Last of Us Part II's package files. In, in other words, there are assets in the game that are never used and never otherwise appear and seem to point towards the original intent of the game's once-in-existence since-cut multiplayer suite. The biggest asset is a map that shows an in-game location that actually merges single-player areas from the campaign together into one, including the motel and stores in Jackson, Wyoming, Port 66 and its accompanying parking garage and docks, the Coast Petroleum gas station and surrounding environs and onward. While speculative, the YouTuber notes that the map is so seemingly enormous that there could have been some sort of battle royale component in The Last of Us Part II originally. Other assets were left behind too. A red set of almost VR-like goggles are labeled as the quote-unquote listen mode device, while a low-res item known only as a collar, in quotes, indicates that maybe dogs had a place in multiplayer, as they did in single-player, as it was originally conceived. There's also a low-res item called a quote-unquote handheld TV, perhaps an item to spy on your opponents. There are also a ton of armor, backpacks, and other items seemingly for Ellie and other players, also in the data, though this YouTuber hasn't yet cracked them. The Last of Us Part Two launched on PS4 in 2020 and was critically and commercially acclaimed, though also exceptionally controversial. The game was originally planned to include a multiplayer component, a likewise sequel to 2013's The Last of Us's beloved Factions mode. However, Naughty Dog later publicly explained its intent to release a standalone multiplayer experience, leaving The Last of Us 2 multiplayerless, but also 25 to 30 hours long. 
When we'll see the official reveal of the standalone game remains to be seen, though The Last of Us Part Two did receive a PS5 performance patch this past May, indicating Naughty Dog's mind is still very much on this in this universe. Cody Smith wrote in and said, Hello, podcast buds. According to the recently unearthed data files from The Last of Us Part Two, it looks like factions was either going to or will have a large multiplayer map. Editorializing has linked this to a battle royale mode, but is it, is it possible factions will be more similar to something like Sea of Thieves or Grand Theft Auto Online with an evolving map for a games as a service model, something PlayStation is notably lacking among its first party. So, Chris, this is an interesting hint about what could have been. The items are less interesting, I think, than the map itself, and they actually go into, which I think is really useful if you go watch this video, they go and show the 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 actual places in the game that the map is identifying, and they are these massive locations that they've merged. Mm-hmm. What do you think about these little clues? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know really what to make of it. I, I wonder if... Because it's hard to tell whether or not this is supposed to be, like, a proper, like... Because the whole, like, map merging thing, the first time I remember that really happening was, I think, in the... in I think in Black Ops 4? They had that... Uh, the, the Battle Royale that Call of Duty had that wasn't Warzone. I think it was, like... What the hell was it, Dustin? You remember? Uh, like, Blackout. Blackout. I was just thinking about that game earlier. It was so weird. You didn't mention that. Call of Duty has two... Battle Royale. Anyway. The one's dead, I think. <laughs> yeah, good. Much. But I, that was the first time I saw that, where they took a bunch of different multiplayer maps and, like, put them in the same kind of giant play space, which is, like, a great idea. Like, that's that's been around for, like, a really, really long time, just the idea of, like, having, like, what if every map was playable at once type deal. It's, like, it's very classic, like, uh, FPS kind of thought, thought school. But I think that's usually indicative nowadays of Battle Royale, of just, like, hey... You know, drop in, scavenge, and like, you know, you got this famous location and this famous location and this this location that you recognize. But I don't know how Battle Royale really... It works with The Last of Us because it is about scavenging and it is about sort of being the last man standing in some ways. Like, you could stretch that into the tone of that game pretty easily, but at the same time, Battle Royale is so wacky in every other incarnation that I've ever seen it in that it's hard for me to imagine, like... Ellie walking around with like a hot dog costume <laughs> you know what I mean and just like all these like weird like other tropes of like you know skins and you know customizable you know uh, cosmetics and how that would work so like part of me is wondering like is this just like is this supposed to be a battle royale or is this supposed to be something more like GTA online which is also chaotic and I, I don't know what to make of this like it actually has me intrigued genuinely in factions because like prior to this you know i was definitely gonna play it but i wasn't like necessarily like thinking about it all that much or like looking forward to it because it's just like ah it's just gonna be more last of us but if they do something interesting with battle royale and they make it not so absurdist and maybe like have some some version of that mode that's grounded in like the gritty realism that the game is is rooted in i think that could be really fun and cool and a neat way to differentiate itself from every other battle royale that seems to be really obsessed with just just getting every single one of their players to buy the most flashy expensive skin tone is important in Mm. in gameplay and i think if the last of us can keep that tone in a multiplayer setting i think that'd be uh, that could be pretty cool what do you think about this dustin the the possibilities here items again less interesting but maybe indica- indicative of some of the skills you were going to get or whatever there it's also worth noting these are low res incomplete items but i'm always right. fascinated by stuff that's just left in games i i don't i'm so persnickety and ocd that I, that would annoy the shit out of me if i was 
building a game and just leaving assets in it for people right. to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people, when they see this big map, they jump to Battle Royale. But I feel like there's a possibility that, of course, it could be Battle Royale. But the way that they're treating this multiplayer mode, you know, it's been over a year at this point, right? Since Last of Us Part Two came out. Yep. Yeah, it's been over a year. And they they mentioned they're like, yeah, we're still working on the multiplayer mode. And so to me, this is going to be more than just a multiplayer mode, but a separate platform from mm-hmm. The Last of Us. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see something along the lines of think more of like a Red Dead or GTA online. Like I would imagine a a, a scenario where you build your own character and you are in this world where there's like, you can go do missions. You can do a uh, more traditional multiplayer or, or maybe even a situation where you have a game that is kind of like a survival game, like rust or something where people can like set up their own camps and stuff like that. Either way, the point that I'm trying to make is that it's clear that their ambition for this multiplayer mode goes far beyond just in addition to the last of us part two to the point where i would expect this to be something much much larger than just oh we're putting all the maps together for a br mode i think that they see this as something special and something they can mine uh and and squeeze a bit for either i don't know whether it'd be microtransactions or season pass stuff like that but I, I'm sure that Sony would be love the idea of getting a service game under their belt that can continually get uh, money for them. Yeah, that would be awesome for them. And I agree with you guys both that the potential here is so high that I think they have to be really deliberate and careful with how they treat this. I think that they've been pleasantly surprised by their reaction to some things that have been happening in the multiplayer space. I mean, Factions itself was a, a surprise to them right up to launch. It, I, I've said before that I remember speaking to Naughty Dog and Sony about how good it was when I was doing the review session and they were like, really? Like, I'm like, yeah. And everyone agreed. Like, everyone loved it. So so some things you just don't know. And I also think that maybe since then they've learned the lesson from Ghost of Tsushima Legends, which I think was foolish for Sucker Punch to put out for free. You know, they could have potentially charged for that. So I think they look at it and say, like, people want to go back to these single player centric games and do multiplayer have a multiplayer component as long as it's solid. So let's do it right. Because I really think they can make a $60 or $70 Last of Us multiplayer game. I think they just have to prove that it's worth that, you know, and it can't be yeah. reused assets and all of that. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I find those websites or those YouTube channels really interesting though. Like it's the same guy that go, does the outside the lines or outside the barriers. Whatever oh, boundary right. breaks or whatever. Boundary break or whatever. I think yeah. it's the same dude. Okay. Number four. Now I'm going to read this as it is now, but we've had news on this that I'll update at the end. Our trusty friends at the Korean Games Rating Agency have once again spoiled the yet unannounced release of a game, and this one is quite interesting. Quake. Uh, Quake Remastered is en route to both PS4 and PS5, and this is an interesting piece of news for a few reasons. First of all, Quake is a beloved 90s FPS that has never been released on a PlayStation console, though its sequel did come to PS1 in 1999. It's also a beloved FPS franchise from developer id Software and was their new game following Doom 2. But what's perhaps most interesting is that id Software and the Quake IP are both owned by Microsoft. This therefore means that Microsoft is comfortable bringing some of its older, perhaps less consequential games to rival consoles. They indicated that and perhaps allows us to identify the boundaries of which they're allowing their games to migrate elsewhere. 
The original Quake, which came to PC in 1996, is the namesake of id's annualized QuakeCon and is perhaps id's third most important franchise following Doom, which it still handles internally, and Wolfenstein, which has been uh, long been with its sister studio, Machine Games, also owned by Microsoft. Now, since this has happened, QuakeCon is ongoing as we're recording. Quake Remastered is out right now on PS4. PS5 follows later. It's got a platinum trophy. It's got full online suite, cross-platform multiplayer, and maybe the most interesting thing I was just scrubbing through the trailer just to see anything is that it actually has DLC, new DLC um, built in like new parts. So that's kind of cool. That's crazy. So go check that out. I also think it's only 10 bucks. So you can't really go wrong there. Yeah, no, well. definitely not. So Quake, uh, any uh, insights onto that, Chris? I don't know if you're a Quake guy. Uh, so Quake is something that I have like, it's weird. Like a lot of these older arena shooters, I kind of like, I only played like like small snippets of it, like friends' houses, to the point where like I can't remember which ones <laughs> were the ones that I played. Like I pl- there's one that I played that I have never been able to find again. Like even still to this day, like I'm still trying to find it. But it was like a it it was like a Quake thing, but it wasn't Quake. But I- I'm a big fan of arena shooters in general. I'm going to give this a shot just because this is just a fun genre. Like I, I miss shooters like this, man. Like where it was just like momentum and just like fun and less concerned with like animation and like you know like oh man i gotta reload real flashy let's say nah nah it's just like as long as the game plays well it's it's fun so i'm definitely gonna be checking this out like without a doubt and i'll have more to say about it when we talk about what we're playing next time what do you think dustin are you a quake fan i was just remembering uh quake 4 was a Mm. uh, i believe a launch title for the xbox 360 and i remember playing that and it's been that was last time Quake, I believe, had a campaign because they did Quake Legends or Quake whatever, their online service one, whatever it's Ch- called. Uh, Champions, the most recent one? Champions, yes. Legends, Champions, Heroes, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. couldn't they have done a little better than that? But I wonder if Quake is the next thing for for id. I wonder if they would take a little time off Doom and give Quake the reimagined treatment that could be pretty cool i thought the quake 4 campaign i I don't know if it holds up i just remember when i when i had a a 360 in sixth grade that i thought it was awesome so it seems like there is there's so much legacy with quake that it would it would make sense to go back and and do something with it yeah Yeah, quake 4 was made by raven which is cool little oh right piece of information too and we haven't seen a quake game since uh, enemy territory i think which was on ps3 but, oh, uh, Quake, Quake 4 was not on, on PS3. Yeah, I'm looking at the trailer right now, and like it ends with like a, a rocket jump, which is like so beautiful. <laughs> it has me excited. Cool, man. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week then. All right, number five. Back in early April, developer People Can Fly and publisher Square Enix released their third-person shooter RPG Outriders on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, as well as elsewhere. The game had about 3.5 million players in its first month, though that number is inflated by it being free at launch on Xbox Game Pass. And here's where an issue emerges, because it seems that Outrider's early success <clears throat> was overstated due to that Game Pass infusion. And even though Square Enix was bullish early on, it appears that the game hasn't broken even yet. Word comes by way of a letter written on developer People Can Fly's website directed towards its investors and creditors. In short, the Polish language letter translated via Google notes that because they never received royalty payments for the game as of June, quote, this probably means that according to Square Enix, Outriders did not break even after the first quarter of sales. 
According to the publisher, the revenues for the sale of Outriders are due to the company only after all game costs are covered by the publisher, end quote. The studio doesn't even know how many copies its game sold, though they suspect it's between 2 and 3 million units outside of Game Pass. But people can fly as rosier in their outlook, quote, The sales tale of Outriders is ahead of us. We mentioned earlier this year that we're working on further development support for this game, and I hope to be able to share some details soon, ellipsis. Despite this disappointing information, we believe that the first royalties from the sales of Outriders will be received by the company this year, end quote. What's strange is that Square Enix doesn't seem to be communicating any of this to the company itself. Nonetheless, the Polish team, once owned by Epic and responsible for Bulletstorm and some work in the Gears of War franchise, toils away on its own self-published game, a AAA game for Take-Two Interactive, and another game for Square Enix, likely outside of Outriders. So... What do you guys uh, what do you guys make of I had a, I put a letter in there that I, I put in the wrong place. Sorry, I deleted it. Chris, I saw you I saw yeah. you on it. I apologize for that. Not a worry. So I'm curious uh, what you guys make of this. This was actually a bigger piece of information than I thought it was, because what it brought up was the role of Game Pass. And even with Square, we can. So here's the kind of hoops you have to jump through in the games industry to find numbers. Square Enix paid for the game obviously paid for the development of people can fly it's not like people can fly got no money but post-release they've gotten no money so because of that we go to the polish language write-up from people can fly talking to their investors saying they haven't received money yet so we can indicate that the game is not profitable therefore we know that anything square enix has said about the game early on was from the lens of the game not being profitable and people were talking about game pass being this huge boost for the game and it r- rose numbers but the game is not in the black yet Mm -hmm. it's just something to talk about what do you think chris i think it's a little weird (laughs) square enix has been making like confusing decisions lately like financially like we know that the avengers game was like a mess we know that like it seems like they just don't have a good business mindset for anything that isn't final fantasy because even when they were like oh tomb raider is not profitable you know, or like Tomb Raider doesn't make enough money. Let's let's not do Tomb Raider anymore. Uh, let's do Avengers. And then that ended up being like a, a massive sink. And then they're like, ah, we don't need Hitman. Whatever. Take the, take Hitman, Io. And then Io leaves and makes Hitman and they make a ton of money on Hitman. And it's like, it. this seems to be less of a Game Pass problem and more of a Square Enix problem because I've heard nothing like this from other developers that I've spoken to or other publishers outside of Square Enix where they just have a weird way of like determining what projects to invest in and it's just very it's not like they didn't like obviously Microsoft pays for games to be on Game Pass you know like it's not like that wasn't and it's also like this weird in between where it's like a live service game but there's no monetization so it's also like a weird kind of thing I was like I know that was like the point but that's also kind of something to consider but I, I just find it interesting just because this is such a Square Enix thing that <laughs> they just continuously like lose their their profitable shit and then they do something that they think is going to be amazing and then it ends up being way, way more costly than they anticipated. Yeah, I, I also think that and this is another chicken and egg situation. I Like would have Game Pass or would did Game Pass help or hurt this game just because they didn't make enough make a profit from it doesn't mean it hurt it. In fact, it could have been way worse. So we're not getting all of the information that we necessarily need. The game had a lot of attention because of that. But the other side of the coin, I think that people are arguing, Dustin, is that a game being on Game Pass makes it budget to a lot of people. They don't. 
it doesn't bode well for a game necessarily to be given away to one group of people and for the others to buy it. It doesn't always reflect well on that game. And what we're seeing are a lot of numbers coming out like Hades, for instance, with physical copies. I don't know if you guys saw this where like 92% of the physical copies between on Hades were sold on PS5 or PS4, Mm -hmm. something insane like that. So people aren't buying games on Xbox. I mean, now that might not matter, but I doubt Square Enix got in bed with people can fly, put the game on Game Pass, then sold it elsewhere so that after the first quarter on, on sale where they make the most money, the game would not have broken even yet. So something's wrong. I just don't know what it is. What do you think? Right. Well, you brought up the point of like, it could have been so much worse. Maybe let's say this game doesn't come to Game Pass and there's no initial burst of players to tell their friends on a a different console or whatever to go play it. You have to imagine a huge amount of PS5 sales were from people that became interested in it because of, you know, the huge surge of players at launch, which Dude, the other thing to be fair, and I think this is something that Maddie has said, is that this game had a lot of problems at launch, and I think that contributed to its overall fall off of, of sales. So, yeah, there's definitely many factors at play here beyond Game Pass. The question that I have, and someone could figure this out, so maybe this is a dumb question, but for Square Annex. Chris, you mentioned about how they're like not, they're never satisfied. Like, oh, it didn't make money. My question always is, did it not make, did they, did they lose money? Which I think in, in uh, the case of Avengers, they did lose money, at least initially. Mm -hmm. Or did it just not make as much money as you want? Because you're used to having mega hits like Final Fantasy or something like that. That's usually what it, that reminds me of like when Activision was like Destiny, Destiny 2 didn't make enough money this year. And you look at how much money it like made like over like hundreds, like hundreds of millions. It's like, what, what are you like? What are you looking for? Like, what do you mean? Like I have, I I retweeted this thing earlier this week of just because it's like a really fast uh, and amusing like array of headlines. It says Marvel's Avengers still hasn't turned a profit since release. And then the next thing is. Square Enix disappointed by sales of Tomb Raider wants to maximize profits during development. <laughs> yeah. Hitman, Hitman games on hold after Square Enix uh, drops developer IO Interactive. Hitman 3 earns all of its money back in just one week, making it a Hitman. And it's like, right. well, I, dude, I, it's just funny that Square because Square Enix is like uh, when I think of Square Enix, I do think of like, you know, the 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 anime stuff like the like the Final Fantasy stuff and, and you know, and that's this that's their bread and butter. I think that's like where. A lot of their success and obviously like from the mmos and, and all that stuff so like it just feels like they don't have an eye for anything outside of that and even within that they fuck up sometimes like putting all those classic uh, final fantasy games on on what mobile <laughs> or like pc or something and not on playstation just like they make really confusing decisions that only seem to hurt them and i just don't understand who's making decisions up there and like why they haven't been like pulled into a room and like talked to or like because they've just been consistently fucking up. You know, Square is one of those companies that I feel like there is a... It's probably better now, but it seems like there's some kind of divide between Western Square and Eastern, you know, Japanese, the the Squaresoft proper. Just because some of these decisions, like the, the final... So let's take the Final Fantasy one, for example. I'm sure that that... That decision was a very Japanese-focused decision to release these games on mobile 
end on on Steam. In fact, I bet you the Steam was like, well, it's easy because we've already done all the work on mobile. We can easily just throw that over. Like they, it seems like that was like a a a, a, a Japanese decision that just had no regard for the Western side of their audience. And you know, this we see this happen with Japanese c- companies often where they they have a japanese mindset take like that's was kind of the whole downfall of of sega that blake harris outlines in his book is that they had such a japanese mindset when really a lot of their bread and butter was from the american market and we see stuff like this happen not all the time but to some extent nintendo as well you hear stories about how nintendo of japan is is really the ones in charge which makes sense but then you see some of their decisions that you're like, this just does not make any sense. So I'd be curious what, I don't know, surely people at Square, uh, Square Enix that work in their, their, you know, North American offices probably would have the answer to that. But they, they straddle a weird line where it's like you, you have the most beloved JRPG franchise in the world, but you're also trying to make Western games that work like Outriders and, seem to be having an an issue straddling that line Mm -hmm. i think well i i don't think i I should say outriders is still my game of the year i think that was still the most fun i had with the game this year so i I do want to say that i'm well i don't want to say i'm sure maybe it won't get knocked off that perch at some point you never really know but i i think they have to look so people can fly says their game sold between two and three million copies which which was far beyond the break-even point of a game like control yeah so it really makes you wonder like how much bloat this game had in development, but also it's a it's it's a multiplayer game and it needs servers and all the rest. But what's funny about what you're saying, Dustin, is that they're two companies because on one hand, you're right. They have these huge expectations. They want to make these splashes. But on the other hand, they release fucking Saga Frontier remastered. That's or true. The world ends with you or uh, Final Fantasy pixel remaster. You know, like like what are you doing? So it's very interesting, including their vast support. I mean, no AAA publisher supported Vita, including Sony, more than Square Enix. I mean, Square Enix carried that entire thing as far as any notable role playing game was concerned. So it is interesting to see how they operate and that we have to kind of delve deep into the numbers to get any real information. All right. Number six, there are some new minor studio acquisitions to announce from last week. Not surprisingly, Embracer Group continues its studio gobbling march, adding three new teams to its stable. More specifically, the three teams have been purchased via Saber Interactive, which itself is underneath the Embracer umbrella, along with the likes of other imprints like Deep Silver and THQ Nordic. The biggest of the three purchases is the American team Demiurge, a four-hire port team most notably associated with Rock Band DLC, along with a bunch of early contract work on games for EA, 2K, and others, including Bioshock and Mass Effect. Estonian port team Fractured Byte, specializing in Unreal Engine, and Russian port and QA team Smartphone Labs are the other two acquisitions in question. This brings Embracer to 77 teams under seven verticals. Meanwhile, French publisher Nacon, which has been quietly growing in size, has acquired another Canadian team, this time Creature Studios, the developer behind the much-anticipated upcoming skateboarding game Session. Creature is Nacon's seventh fully-owned team and joins a family currently populated by the likes of Greedfall developer Spiders, and sports dev Big Ant. And finally, Swedish publisher Raw Fury, founded only six years ago, has a new majority owner. Swedish VC firm Alter Equity Partners, which owned a minority share, has purchased the rest of the controlling share. Raw Fury has primarily acted as an indie label, and when it comes to PlayStation, is most recently responsible 
for the publishing of, of adventure game Call of the Sea, which is on both PS4 and PS5. Nothing too crazy to say there. Mm-hmm. Number seven, the MPD group released its sales data for the month of July 2021. MPD, of course, tracks gaming sales across both digital and retail channels in the United States. And once again, Switch has outsold PlayStation 5 in units, while PS5 grossed the most money. The top 20 games sold in the U.S. for the month include Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War at 2, MLB The Show 21 at 7, Miles Morales at 8, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart at 11, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 at 13, Neo The World Ends With You at 16, and Resident Evil Village at 19. 2021's best-selling game so far is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War with MLB The Show 21 at 2, Resident Evil Village at 3, Miles Morales at 5, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla at 9. For some reason, this month's MPD is heavily truncated, however, not including bi-platform breakdowns and other usual monthly data. Dustin, I wanted to ask you, did you see the stuff out of um, the Media Creates chart from Japan last week, the sales data in which the top 30 games were all Switch games? I don't know if you guys saw that. It was the first time, I think, since 1998 that there was no PlayStation game on the top 30 games sold in Japan. So things are really slowing down over there (laughs) Apparently, dude, I mean, the Switch is just like murdering in Japan. Like, it's not even even comparable uh, how many units Switch is selling compared to, I mean, particularly PlayStation, but definitely not. I mean, Xbox isn't even part of the conversation in Japan. I, at least that yeah. was the case. I don't, I don't, I'm assuming the Series X really hasn't made a dent over there, but it's, dude, the Switch is the perfect console for the Japanese market. They were already leaning towards mobile because a lot of Japanese people either take the train or I, I, I don't know if it's just a cultural thing. They lean towards they mobile. live in small spaces and they live in small spaces. Right. Dude, the PS5 you, fucking monolith of a console that's like going to take up half of a Japanese apartment. I mean, right off the bat. So there's I like, watch a lot, I watch a lot of that content, like apartment content in Japan. Yeah. And like their yeah. apartments are often like the size of this office that I'm, that's in my, you know, like something like this size in, in right. Tokyo. And dude, the switch hits that that perfect medium of being the console portable hybrid. So that's the thing, and that's why maybe Sony has a ban- I don't want to say abandoned the Japanese market, but it's clear why their focus has has shifted. And again, Colin, you always bring this up: the idea of will Sony try again in the handheld space? Maybe I. I feel like no, it won't be for a while, though, with with their focus on VR. God, I want them to so bad. But I think what we're going to end up getting, I'll this will satiate me is because remember Jim Ryan said that smartphone games from PlayStation are not too far away. Now they've done smartphone games before, but like a whole new barrage of them. If those games are good and they have trophies, I'll be on it. OK, number eight. There's no denying that Electronic Arts Sports Games Powerhouse EA Sports relies largely on two legs, FIFA and Madden. But there's a third pillar, too, one that also sells well in its own right and has no peer on the market, and that's NHL. The series, which began on Sega Genesis in the early 90s and has run, run each year since, is obviously returning for an iteration this year as well, NHL 22. But it's the fact that it's coming to PlayStation 5 that's the big deal. Unlike many other sports games since launch, NHL didn't make the jump to PS5 right away. NHL 21 was last gen only, but NHL 22, with Toronto Maple Leafs' Austin Matthews on the cover, will come to both PS4 and PS5 on October 15th this fall. Also notable is that the game is moving engines. EA's Ignite engine has run NHL every year since 2014, but both FIFA and Madden moved to EA's crown jewel Frostbite years ago, and NHL now joins them. So if you're looking forward to NHL 22 on PS5, also on PS4, Frostbite, that's October, let's see, what did I say, October 15th, day after my birthday. 
And finally, a wrap up number nine, the official PlayStation blog reports puzzle platformer Tandem, A Tale of Shadows comes to PlayStation 4 on October 21st. Website Gamatsu reports re-released action game Blood Rain Betrayal Fresh Bites comes to both PS4 and PS5 on September 9th. Monster catching game Nexomon comes to PS4 and PS5 on September 17th. Brawler RPG Young Souls comes to PS4 this fall and FPS Cultic comes to PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2022. The website also reports re-released, 20, re-released 2010 XBLA game Toy Soldiers HD due out in August on PS4 will now launch on September 9th. And finally, website Push Square reports documentary style game Away the Survival Series comes to PS4 and PS5 on September 28th, while adventure game Goodbye Volcano High has been delayed out of 2021 and will now launch in 2022. Matthias Gudmundsson wrote into us and said, Hey, CDC, Colin, recently you've defended the inclusion of the news wrap up. I actually agree that the podcast should strive to include every game and be as encompassing of everything PlayStation as possible. Although mentioning every new game can't really be done without the drop from Sony RIP. Just wanted to say that I very much appreciate the news wrap up. Every few weeks, I go back to wrap ups from the most recent episodes. Thanks, Dustin and Ben for the timestamps. And I usually find some games that interest me. What do you think about Sony not reintroducing the drop after well over a year now? Are they not doing are they not doing a disservice to the games they're selling in and to themselves? Thank you, Matthias, for writing in. We usually don't do a question right after this, but Chris, I wanted to throw it to you. Are you surprised that Sony has stayed away from the drop? We are now, as far as I can tell, the only comprehensive collection of PlayStation releases, and we do it in a really hodgepodge way when dates are announced. Yeah. So we're not doing it the week that games are coming out. Isn't it strange? I always assume like I, I don't understand why they're doing it this why they're doing it this way. No one knows when anything comes out anymore. <laughs> it, it is very bizarre that they would just kind of like leave it to die. It, it's strange to me that they just stopped that. Like it, it's a useful tool. I think it's I think it's just reasonable to have something like that. Like it just it, it seems like so little effort. <laughs> You know, like you'd assume that somebody would would be willing to do it even just out of their own. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's just doing it as a hobby for themselves, you know, just like, ah, this is what came out this week, whatever. It just seems weird to me that they uh, they've let it just sort of die. I agree. It is very weird. I wish they'd bring it back, but they won't. Yeah. All right. Every episode of Sacred Symbols, of PlayStation podcast ends with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from Patreon at Patreon.com slash last media support us over there. Early ad free access to every episode of this show, exclusive access to Sacred Symbols Plus twice a week. The ability to submit these questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, get your name in the credits, so on and so forth. This also goes for Knockback and Defining Duke, our Xbox podcast done by Mr. Matty Plays and the Lord Cognito. Now, we start with John Lisa Jr., who says, Hi, I think some of your discussion about loot boxes missed a key point. Why? Well, and he's talking about last week. Mm-hmm. I agree that parents are the most important factor in all of this. I believe the trading card example is off base. Gamers who get addicted to these things don't have to leave the house. Access to these things are an instant are an instant away, either on their phones, consoles or computers. I just think that's a huge differentiating factor that was overlooked in your discussion. Keep making great content. You guys have become an essential part of my week. So, boys, I don't know if you'd be surprised to hear this or not, but our what I thought was just a passing conversation about loot boxes and parental responsibility and personal agency last week was more controversial than I thought it was going to be. Hmm. I. Stand by this thing, Chris, that and John brings up people, gamers who get addicted to these things, he says, don't have to leave the house. Access to these things are an instant away. That's not my problem. Right. Like, it's just it's not my problem. It's just just like if a convenience store like I'm not a cigarette smoker, but if a convenience store sells a pack of cigarettes to a 16 year old and that 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 person gets addicted to cigarettes because the proper 
uh, protocols weren't followed, that doesn't mean that an adult shouldn't be allowed to have easy access to cigarettes that they can pay for and prove their identity to. It's just like you can stretch it to any angle. And I just don't understand why when a person is invulnerable and vulnerable in quotes that we should all change our behavior when in reality, the people that are closely aligned to those that need to be kept away from this thing need to change their behavior. Yeah. I, I was going to just throw it to Chris. Yeah. And no, I'm, I'm trying to trying Deep to flesh out how I feel about this. I think I agree with you. I, I just, I find, I just find loot boxes so repugnant and repulsive and annoying. Like not even from like a think of the children angle. It's, it's literally just for me. It's just like, I think they degrade the industry and I think they like, I think they come at the cost of quality in every single aspect and every single instance that, that they've ever been utilized and used and, and levied. I think, and, and because of that, because my view of loot boxes are so negative, I don't really have a problem with people kind of overstepping. Like I, I should on like a principle level. And I think I do maybe, but like part of me is like, this is, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll look the other way. You know, like a dirty cop. <laughs> Just like, ah, you know, maybe. <laughs> if, if loot boxes, I'll, I'll say that if loot boxes were being murdered in an apartment and I heard, right, like on the street, I wouldn't call the police. You know what I miss, my, what I miss about living in the city, the mo- cities the most, and you, you'll know, understand this. Chris, it's just how you have to turn off your mind at some point to like, you'll just hear random screams or something, you know, like <laughs> death curdling screams from like another apartment or you're like, and you just have to ignore these things basically when you're living in living in a city because it's never what you think. Yeah, like yeah. It almost is never what you think. And maybe once in a while it is like you remember my old apartment in Santa Monica. You remember how you could look across the backyard to the other apartment building and like yeah, see yeah. in there. So there was a place and I was. <laughs> There were these, I remember just looking across the way and there were these two guys fist fighting in like the apartment right across from me with their girlfriends like trying to stop them. And I'm like, what the, f- That's what awesome. the fuck is going on in the city, I, man? It's just I, like funny things you're seeing all the time. I, I love people watching. It's, it's, it's why I really like cities. It's just like you just sit. Like I spent so much time in like New York City just like sitting in like Union Square Park just watching people and just like hearing like snippets of out of context conversations that like I, I just... It's an entertainment medium on its own, and it's free, Absolutely. which is Definitely. like awesome. One hundred percent agree. Uh, Dustin, where do you stand on this? I, I, for me, I'm, I'm all about the personal responsibility. I just feel like you got to take control. Stop looking to others to police the your life or the lives of those around you. If you have a right. child, be a parent. You know, if you have a you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like there have been times in my life where I felt like I was drinking too much. I don't really drink very much at all anymore. But in my 20s where I was like, I got to if, if it keeps going down this line, I'm gonna, I, I can get in trouble. You have to kind of sometimes you need help. Oftentimes people need to be raised up and all that kind of stuff. But it was ultimately my own problem, my own fault. And it required me to overcome that. So. When you're over 18, I have no sorrow for you about what many things that happen. You got to take responsibility for yourself. But under 18, you have to be able to look towards the people in your life that will guide you. If I tried to take my parents credit card and buy something when I was 10 or 12 years old, they would have fucking killed me. I, I just right. want you like that would have that was that's like so beyond thinkable to me. Yeah, that it like it, it's almost unbelievable that anyone's <laughs> even dealing with these issues because I think my dad would have literally murdered me if I did something like that. Right. Go. Well, here, I mean, that's the the key is that like it. There's uh, there's technically, 
quote unquote negative consequences of freedom, right? Like it is not a law anymore. Maybe I don't know if it's nationwide or just in Pennsylvania. You don't have to wear a helmet when you ride a motorcycle, which is insane to me that anyone would hop on a motorcycle without a helmet on because that just feels like you're asking to die if anything happens you're done for but i i feel like the helmet doesn't help at all like i feel like even just being on a bike and being on a motorcycle in general is just like you've resigned yourself to an early death right yeah i mean but here's the thing it's like i'm you know that's a risk that some people are willing to take not one that i am but i'm i support that like being on a, a a jet ski is i'm sure really really fun but also people die all the time these are kind of uh you know more extreme examples but there's like i said there's a a personal choice that you have to make and especially now my thing is and i don't know these systems through and through for both xbox and uh playstation but i know they have parental controls that allow you to lock out purchases or maybe it's like hey in order to make a purchase you need a four digit passcode or something i know that apple has a thing that your uh sub accounts can request a purchase it's like hey i want to buy this two dollar thing and it will send a notification to the the parent iphone or whatever so there's systems in place that allow these types of restrictions and i'm with chris in that i'm like i agree that that loot boxes are overall a negative thing of the industry but i have to stand by my thoughts on on free market that if people are are buying them then i guess that there there's a demand for it and so it comes back to that that personal responsibility and especially for parents there's there's options for you to take control there's print every modern console has parental controls of some extent use them they're there for you i mean that's like half of the parenting work for you uh you don't have to yeah. even give little jimmy the the opportunity to use your card just uh lock him out or make it so he has he needs permission like i don't i just don't understand why I, that I, would be a factor i understand the personal responsibility argument just to, to me it, it always kind of sounds like um like when these big companies are like you should use less plastic and it's like or, or like you should you should use paper straws and it's like well you guys are you are the people dumping all the shit into the fucking you know what i mean like it, mm. minimizing pollution has like so little to do with your average person and so much more mm. to do with like people at the top of these companies that are actually like doing most of the pollution in the first place so it just kind of feels like ah well it's, it's legal so and it's like I, I i get it but to me it's just like again i i would I would right. look the other way if something bad was happening to the, the, the difference, though, I guess, between like a str- the argument about like a str- like straws or environmental consequences is that there's people that make let's say you make a million dollars a year and you can blow a few hundred bucks on loot boxes and not even think twice about it. Yeah, and so yeah those, you're right. those companies want to allow people that are of means to spend yeah, their money yeah, no. with I'm them. Not, I'm not saying it's yeah. perfectly analogous. I'm just saying it's just like sure. No, me, I it's just like it's not. It's not compelling enough. I'm just like I just do, I can't care about loot boxes enough to fight for them at all. Sure, maybe that's a flaw in my like principles, but like that's fine. <laughs> like I'm totally so, fine with. It. I've uh, 
I mean, on the show, I've defended how much Bobby Kodak makes, which is probably one of the most undesirable things that anyone has ever done in this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> Brian Serrett wrote in and said, hey, CDC, hope all is well. I have a very simple question for you. What the fuck does AAA even mean? Does it stand for something? Is it supposed to be simply uh, imply a grade level beyond A plus? Is it just a phrase lifted from somewhere else? Am I an idiot? Anyway, thanks for all the incredible content you guys produce and take care. So the term AAA in the gaming industry, a lot of people think, and I actually thought this at one time too, that it is referencing minor league baseball. And so in minor league baseball, for people that don't know, you know, there's the major leagues and then there's AAA, AA, and A. And those are like your farm, so-called farm leagues where you draw players from. But in fact, the AAA moniker uh, comes from the credit world, the bond rating world and indicates like your highest value product. So it was actually a term that was used, a term of art that was used on the publishing side and the development side to to talk about games that are expensive and will likely sell a lot. And that uh, name has, or that term has kind of transformed into us saying, and we know in the industry what, what the difference is between a AAA game and A game, a AA game, an indie game, et cetera. So it basically just means that the cream of the crop. And obviously there have been others like quadruple A was the thing that Microsoft tried to do for a while. Triple A plus was the thing for a while. But basically, you know, what's funny is that it we really with game rating with that, like with keeping it game wise, it should have been S S games like right. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, S is always like the highest ranking. That would have been the better way. But that's where that comes from. I just wanted to throw that out there for uh, Brian. I wrote brain, in the document, <laughs> but his name is his name is indeed Brian. Ryan Pacheco wrote in and said, hey, guys, I've been thinking a lot about the Sly Cooper five rumors I've been seeing online and was wondering what your thoughts would be if Sucker Punch were the ones making Sly five. I agree with your previous statements that having studios like Naughty Dog work on Jack. Sorry, I will tickle my throat or Sucker Punch work on Sly Cooper is not the best use of those studios time. However, with Sony stating that they are more interested in growing their existing studios and Evan Wells even stating that he wished Naughty Dog had kept working on Jack, like how Insomniac did with Ratchet. Could we see Sony add additional teams? To say Naughty Dog or Sucker Punch who would make new Jack and Sly games. Benefiting from being in the same studio those games were originally made in. While not holding overall studio back from uh, like Insomniac has been able to do. This is an interesting point from Ryan. Uh, Dustin, let's start with you. I'm curious what you think about this idea of um, maturing a new Sly Cooper game internally. Now, of course, the first three Sly Cooper games were made by Sucker Punch before Infamous. And Sly Cooper 4 was made by Sanzaru. And they're off the board now because they're owned by Facebook. So it's not to say another team couldn't make a Sly Cooper game, but you really only have Sucker Punch or a team that has never worked on it at all. Evan Wells and others have indeed kind of lamented maybe moving away from Jack a little bit and others. And Insomniac does seem to have it perfect where they were able to do Ratchet and, and Resistance and all the rest at the same time. Do you think are you tempted by Sucker Punch doing maybe go, both Ghost 2 and, and Sly 5? Because there are rumors that Sly Cooper 5 might be in pre-production. I guess this ties into tell me if you think this line of thinking makes sense we've seen obviously insomniac is a huge multi team they have multiple locations we're hearing about naughty dog be i mean they they have they've had multiple teams in the past but we hear about their their multiple projects and so you have to wonder if this is a a sony initiative to have all of their teams or their studios have multiple teams to work on multiple projects which of course you run the risk of the the managing of large multi-team studios as well so 
I don't know. That could be an interesting proving ground if we were to see Sucker Punch try to evolve. Like, hey, we're starting a new team internally that's going to work on, you know, a new Sly game at the same time. And I think that's what what Ryan brought brings up here is an interesting idea of having some of the original team or people around that worked on it that can kind of guide them along, but it not being their their full focus. That's definitely an interesting thought i feel like though overall we would see a new infamous game before a new sly game just from a sales perspective i would think so too i'm i I do wonder chris what their plan was with sly because i've said it many times sly 4 teases sly 5 now it's not a huge surprise that there is no sly 5 sly 4 didn't sell extraordinarily well but then as people might recall, Sony made a massive order of Sly Cooper animated shows, like something like 60 episodes. I don't know yeah. if people remember that. Then that never came out. And so it's conceivable that they have something that they want to do with this. And I do believe that even more than Ratchet and Clank, which I'm fond of those characters, I actually think Sly Cooper has the greatest upside to be a truly child, like children's series for kids, like really for kids, like what they really tried to do with Knack. Like Ratchet's ostensibly for kids, but it's really not. We play Ratchet. Now we we'd play Sly as well, but they never really do anything like a Wonder Book type thing. Or what they yeah. tried to do with Ratchet and Clank when they released All for One on PS3, which was a decidedly more childlike well, approach well, to Ratchet. Th- this new one's pretty kid friendly. It's like it's a pro- it's probably the most like Well, it's the most Pixar like, but I don't think the subject matter or the presentation I don't want to say the presentation. I don't think the subject matter or even the story lend towards children's only fair i guess is what i'm saying i I, in other words i feel like sly cooper could be like a pbs like arthur you know like it could be something and i feel like they're they 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 clearly think so because yeah of this phantom cartoon series anyway i I could be wrong but go ahead no i i i think it's interesting like the the premise of having like i mean sony has talked about like you know possibly like expanding studios and obviously insomniac has been like a model for this they've done it so effectively and so efficiently and and with such uh consistent quality that it it would be dumb not to explore that avenue for other studios if other studios were willing to do it and and the biggest thing the biggest argument in favor of this and this is not something i would normally argue for the idea of like i'm usually of the mind that studios should just move on uh like i don't want the halo to go back to bungie like i just don't want to see that at this point i would rather it just stay where it is and improve because the fact of the matter is that these studios are not the same studios. You know, you might as well giving Halo back to Bungie is you might as well give it to Avalanche, you know, not to say that Bungie and Avalanche are like the same quality, but it's like it's this. So the clientele there and, and the, the, the people working there are so different from the original team that it might as well just be a completely new team in the first place. So That's true. I normally wouldn't argue this, but given Insomniac's consistent ability to deliver with this model, and also, just the general idea of, like, I feel like a lot of people want to work in games industry because there's maybe a game they want to work on. And then they work for the studio that they want to work for. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm finally working for the studio that made my favorite game. And then they move on and they do something else that they don't want to do. And then they lose that good talent. You lose the really good talent that was operating under under Sly. Or, like, you you lose the good... Uh, talent that was operating under Jack that knew how to make those games really, really well. So the ability to kind of be able to split your focus in a way that doesn't hurt either product and 
allows that door to remain open for people who are like, yeah, you know, like, are you a Naughty Dog person? And you really wanted to, you know, you were really inspired by Jack and you have like really interesting ideas. And well, hey, you know, we're doing another Jack game and you can go on that team or like Insomniac. It's like, hey, we're doing another Sly. And now people, I feel like that's just, it's good to retain as much talent as possible, especially if that talent is of the grade that is that is making Sly Cooper and mm. is making Jack and is making Ratchet and Clank. You know, that's I think that's probably one of the main reasons why Ratchet and Clank is stuck around. It's like that's probably like a lot of good talent making games that aren't really seen that much anymore. So as much of that as you can retain while also being able to branch out and like experiment in different avenues and like maybe do do darker and grittier things like going from Sly to Ghosts. I think that's probably like something that's worth looking into at the very least, especially because, again, Insomniac has managed it so well. Yeah, very well said. And something two two postscripts, one in support of something you said, which is that Sony has expressed a huge interest in infusing money into the studios that exist. In fact, they're going to do it with two hundred million dollars this fiscal year. It's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So that's enough to make. I mean, two hundred million dollars is not an extra two hundred million dollars will make one triple a last of us style ps5 game today but that's life to date five years so imagine 200 million dollars split amongst teams just covering this year i mean there could be a bunch of projects incubating with that money so that's mm -hmm. the one thing that i think you're you're um totally right about the one thing i'm a little concerned about with slide though is people have to remember that and and i don't know why you would remember this unless you're a huge nerd is that sly cooper 4 was never supposed to exist in fact what ended up happening was that sanzaru started making it i don't know if you guys remember this but mm -hmm. they started just making it with no permission no access and then they had a vertical slice of the, what the game could be and they presented it to sony sony said yeah we want this but what you'll do is you'll port the first three games to playstation 3 first and that's what they did that's the entire story about how sly 4 came to be so it, in other words their arm needed to be twisted a little bit to even make it happen the first time but I feel like the cartoon is the canary in the coal mine and I feel like they're doing something and I feel like Sly Cooper just has this great childlike potential. You know, I find it very, very appealing and very charming, very similar to like we said, Chris, with Ratchet, but I just think it edges more childlike. I just think that there's more kiddiness in in those games, in my opinion. But yeah. All right. Let's see what else we have here. Sean McDaniel wrote in. Said, hey, CDC, hope your weeks are well. I'm sure this question is one that is easily answered, but I'd like to ask it anyway. Is there any room in the game space for indie developers to just release stuff for older consoles? I've often thought how cool it would be to have something digitally, but that maybe there could also be the same game available physically for the original PlayStation, just as an example. If I'm not mistaken, I believe some have actually done this with cartridges before. Is this just the hardware no longer supported as a whole, or is it just way too niche that it may not sell? Thanks for the pod, and remember to drink some water or something. So... I've often wondered this myself. Now, you guys will know that there. this is kind of starting to come out of hibernation. Nerdy players will know that Sega consoles specifically have hosted post far post-release games because people were able to crack open Genesis to a degree and especially Dreamcast. So you can basically just release a Dreamcast game. It doesn't matter. Like No one's going to stop you because if, I don't know if you guys recall, if you owned a Dreamcast, you could literally pirate anything you wanted on that console. In fact, <laughs> right. it was like a joke. It was like a complete joke. People that had no idea what they were doing could like you could literally copy a Dreamcast game onto a CDR and put it into your Dreamcast with like very little problem at all. Yeah. And play. You didn't even, did you even have to mod it? Like, no, you, like, that's the thing is like, yeah. I think you had to keep I think you had to keep the the 
so let me back up on PS one. The way you would often get moderate or, you know, copied games to work was to put a PS five black disc in with a, with the gold finger or whatever in the back and a spring in the little thing that would shut. So it would show that the, the, the door was shut. You'd put a spring in that. So the console would think it was shut. Let the console spin a black disc until it loaded the PS one thing, took the disc out and immediately put the copy disc in and it would boot it. Right. And that's how you did it on Dreamcast. You could just put the the game in <laughs> and, it would just, and it would just load the disc. So I'm only saying that because Dreamcast was a, a, a people will know is a target for developers. Still, there have been games released for Dreamcast physically in the past. Mm-hmm. The one the one thing I wanted to say was that now we're starting to see this more with like bigger publishers. So Capcom did some stuff, I think, with SNES Wily Wars, which is the remake of the first three Mega Man games on Genesis is coming out on cartridge. The problem, I think, is is twofold. Number one, when these kind of one off games used to come out, people used to go buy tons of like. You know, cartridges and reuse them. Then they started like 3D printing them and making them or whatever. Now there are better outlets to do that, but Nintendo is probably going to sue people if they do it. Remember that Nintendo sued a company called Tension into oblivion in the early 90s because they figured out how to override the lockout on the NES and release their own games. And if you look at Tension games, T-E-N-G-E-N on NES, they're all black cartridges that are like really flat and they figured out a way to override it and Nintendo just destroyed them. So I imagine they would still do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. They they just yeah, sued that guy for like uh, what is it the, the that ROM guy who yeah like- the, yeah they they ordered him to destroy everything from the ROM site however you do that I have no idea so the bigger question though is why doesn't Sony we're a PlayStation podcast if I were Sony I'd be like yeah let's do like limited runs of Legend of Dragoon let's let's publish ten thousand copies of Siphon Filter you know like why don't you do that and the answer is. I think the answer is, is that there's just too low margins for them. Like they just, they'll make money, but they just don't, you know, they don't need $500,000 in profit or something like that. So I think that is the problem, but it would be cool. And, and I wish that they would understand hire people for merch, hire people to do stuff like this, hire people to go, you know, patch old games for trophies and bring game. Even though you don't make a lot of money, it creates an ecosystem when you bubble it all together that shows that they care about their past. They want to do cool shit. They want to reward you for being a fan, et cetera, and so on. Where's your mind on this, Dustin? So it's funny you brought up people reprinting. This is actually a huge problem right now is that you can buy like I'm looking at on Etsy right now and they're on eBay too. a earthbound for SNES that will work just like a normal copy for twenty five dollars. And so and it's just a ROM dump. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not like the actual hardware like it's like special custom SNES whatever a chip that just runs like a rom or whatever but the problem with these are is that they end up floating around in the used market and so people buy fake copies of games for very high prices uh but there there are tons and tons out there there are a few companies that are actually releasing new games on old hardware particularly one is a company called Mega Cat Studios, which I know about them because they're actually one of the only Pittsburgh-based game developers. And I'm looking at their site now. They have a huge selection of cartridges that you can buy for NES or also Genesis. They've got a ton of Genesis and Super Nintendo games that are there. 
I don't know. I, I think that they also kind of work as a publisher. Um, I think I don't know what exactly they do, but they're the ones that put out all of these cartridges that work on actual hardware. And if you've been to like a PAX or something, I've seen them set up and they have all of these old this old hardware and CRTs, but they have their new games running on this on these old systems, which is is very cool. And I think they also release them on newer platforms as well. Like a lot of their games come out on on Switch. How successful they are, I don't really know, but it's neat to see people doing that uh, still, even for NES. I agree. I I, I wonder. I just wonder like what the market would be for it. I, my mind is always in just these small ways that you can, because I guess it's because what we do, we have a small, I mean, we have an, a large audience by podcast standards, I guess, but it's a small group of people when you compare it to the people that buy games, but you can yeah. make a lot of money and serve an audience and please an audience ooh, uh, by doing small things and eating around the edges. And I'm always confused why companies don't want to do more of that. Cause I just think it buys goodwill and makes you, it makes it more likely that people will stick with you and ride with you if you're just cool about things. That's why I hope this abandoned thing is something because it's cool if it is. It's crazy, but who knows? Let's move on to this next one here. Forrest Hunter wrote in, said, hey, you beautiful bastards. There's been a lot of talk about consolidation amongst game publishers and devs. And while I agree that it's a negative thing, doesn't this just make room for more independent devs to come out with stuff? Development tools are incredibly easy to obtain these days, and it seems more people than ever are creating games. Wouldn't these new devs just take the place of old of the old independent devs that have been gobbled up? You guys are great, and I hope you're doing well. Certainly, Chris, this doesn't sound right, right? I mean, it's not that the devs are being gobbled up. That's only bad. It's the opportunity cost of that happening. You can't just make a game. And talent being gobbled up by big companies means there's just less talent. Therefore, right. there's less talent, and there's less game. There few, there's less talent, therefore fewer games. Are we overstating the consolidation issue or do you think that there is like a real monopolization happening at the top? Because I, I do feel like there is. Of course, there's going to be games that slip through the cracks because of the democratization of digital platforms. But it doesn't mean this is what we would want. Yeah, yeah. If I don't think we're I, I feel uncomfortable using the term monopoly just because it's, you know, it's not it's quite not, it's, that's not strictly accurate. It's yeah, it's not really accurate. But like, I do think that there is danger in 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 just a consistently if this continues to happen, there's only so many studios, you know, like and the, and, and there's only so many you have to imagine, like, I don't know, like the amount of new studios founded per year isn't nearly as high as the amount of studios that are bought pretty especially like with with these embracer group people and like all, all these just gobbling up everything that they can find i i think the issue is is mainly it's harder like let's say you're an indie de independent developer right like you're two guys and you're just trying to make something cool and every other developer is around you is purchased right and given this influx of money from this person, the, the, this group of people at the top, and they have all these resources to the point where like anything that they make is is likely going to outdo anything that you're going to be able to make. And you're going to feel kind of like, oh, man, we need it's it's almost like it's going to feel like you need to be a part of a conglomerate in order to get anything done. And I feel like that's probably going to be something that is I don't think that's necessarily like the best mindset to to have in games and in in games like especially like uh, there are people who who have made amazing shit like the dude the dude who made stardew valley like made that by himself 
But that's like yeah. th these are very rare occurrences. And most people are probably going to be like, well, yeah, maybe we should just go with these guys because why not? It's it's free money. It's a little bit more security than we would have had otherwise, especially now when security is like so low. I, I just don't think it's a comfortable environment for the games industry to exist in, especially if it continues to go down this road, because then that's just the that's just the atmosphere of it. And it it doesn't I don't know. I just don't think it facilitates a good community and a good industry. And like, I, I don't know, I, I think it should slow down a little bit. But it's not, so. No, it's certainly not. Whatever. We just read some acquisitions earlier. Yeah, literally. <laughs> the final inquiry I think we can all answer here. Aaron Omar wrote in and said, Greetings, CDC. I recently took part in a survey pertaining to Gran Turismo Sport via email invite. It asked me to describe how the game affected mental health positively or negatively. This had me thinking how deeply ingrained video games can be towards our well-being. Would you gents care to describe moments in gaming that have affected your mental health in a positive or negative fashion? Thanks for all the great content. Dustin, I think there's two things to talk about here. First of all, that's very interesting. Yeah, right. This is a first party game. Sport is the last Gran Turismo game, of course. So it's also interesting that they're surveying people on a game that's going to be waning over the next year. But then it's also it also raises the question of how has how, how have games affected me positively or negatively? And I, I got to say, I'm sure that there are negative effects, no doubt. I mean, I've been playing games for over 30 years, but video games have been an overwhelmingly stunningly positive force in my life that have probably saved me from I don't know what I really don't I, I just don't even know what I would do with my life without video games I know that's weird to say but they've meant so much to me and they I built an entire life and and I don't know ethos and personality based on covering them and have been doing it for so long professionally and I've made my whole career on it but all that aside, like games are where I go when I need to escape for some reason. And that's always a positive to me. And if anything, when I'm not the, I, the, the, the bummer Dustin is that when I'm bummed, it's hard for me to play games. I can't yeah. focus on them. So anyway, what do you think about this? Uh, have video games been a, a, well, whatever you want to say, you can say whatever you need to. Yeah. I would say that overall, like you, I mean, it's a huge positive aspect for mental health overall. I've, I've talked about, I've been uh, very honest and willing to be made fun of for the idea that the game Undertale, I feel like some of the stuff in the game was able to help me be a more empathetic person. And I think about that often. And I think that there are tons of stories or lessons or whatever from games that can be extremely positive. And it goes beyond that. Like there's a something great about multiplayer games and the ability to get on discord and hang out with the boys right like yeah it's almost like a reason to get on and hang out like talk to some of your friends for a few hours at a time sometimes and a lot of really deep conversations i've had i've been while playing like destiny 2 like we're doing uh strikes but we're talking about like you know my girlfriend xyz and this really sucks you know what i mean like it's a time that people can really connect with one another and that's very important as far as the negative aspects the only thing i can think is i know that if i get very frustrated with a game which i've gotten way better at it will make it like let's say i i'm frustrated with a game to the point where i stop playing there could be like a 30 
minute window where I'm like irritated and crabby, like a little baby, basically. And it's like, I've learned that it's like, I don't want to be rude or mean to the people around me, particularly Holly, because I'm like frustrated about a stupid video game. So I could see that having a negative aspect to it in certain instances. Luckily, I feel like I've done pretty well navigating out of that. But yeah. Yeah, I don't get so aggravated anymore either. It definitely has gone down. Mostly because I think I've really just identified, as we've discussed on the show in the past, that if I because I just I reached it in Ender Lilies recently where I'm like, I just can't beat this boss. And I just put it down and I come the next come back the next day and I just beat it in the first <laughs> first try. Right. It just happens over and over and over and over again because your mind thinks about it subconscious. You're getting over it. You're you're figuring out the key to the solution or whatever as you're not playing. It's good to walk away. So when I realized that, because I used to literally be. I mean, games used to be a lot harder, too, but I used to throw my fucking controllers and shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like get so mad, but I don't I, it's almost like un, unthinkable. I've gotten so much calmer as I've gotten older. Chris, where do, where do you stand on this uh, mental health and all the rest with uh, games? Has it been good for you? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I I'm a lot like you in the sense that I, I really cannot imagine what the hell <laughs> I would be doing if not for this medium. They've been so formulative in my life and just so important and so almost universally positive like maybe like there are some times where i'm like uh maybe i shouldn't have spent so much time like doing this thing on in this game that like i don't i barely remember now or like i, I would have family family like i would come down sometimes they'd be like oh look who you know look who came down or like oh welcome to the land of the living is what right, my, da- right, my dad exactly. used to say all the time and i was just like i'm just <laughs> i'm just enjoying my weekend like give me a break but no, I, I really don't even know, like, who I would be. Like, I, I've talked about this before, and maybe this might get a little heavy. I, I don't intend it to necessarily, but in, like, I was living in New York in 2001, and, then, and like, my sister had passed away, like, earlier that year. And then 9-11 happened. It was, like, the worst. It was such a terrible year for me. And I grew up in, like, a very Catholic family. And it was, like, very much like, oh, God, this, God, God plan. I was like, I, I don't know. I, this is not... This does not help me at all. And then a few years later, and it's going to sound hilarious because it's ridiculous. It's just a shooting game. But like Halo 2 came out and I was playing Halo 2 and that game's about an alien losing his religion. And I remember that was so incredible at the time because I didn't. I was the first time that I really felt like I, I weirdly like related to this thing that like should not be relatable at all. It's Keith David with like four lips like speaking <laughs> it, it, like it makes no sense. But it was like really important to play that game and like experience that and like kind of like, mm. and I have like so many stories like that and it's just like I can't overstate the positive effect that uh, this industry has had on me. I really don't know what I would be doing. I literally started my YouTube channel because I saw people making machinimas and stuff and was like, oh, you can make movies and in video games that looks cool. And now I have a job because of it, and it's you know it's I've met so many great people through them and. I can't think of a negative effect outside of maybe just other people's negative perception of how much fun I was having. It's really, I love what you say about just people just don't understand you. Welcome back to, you know, where yeah. you been? You, you know, turn into it, you know, yeah. fall into the TV. It's like, leave me alone, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing well in school. I have a job. I don't ask you for anything. Leave me alone. You know? <laughs> and they're just sitting in the living room watching like the, a baseball game for like six hours. And it's like, that's, that's the thing I get with my sister. One of my sisters, Dana, who just does not care about games, just does not care. And I, I try to instill in her. I'm like, please just let me 
but she like she's an English teacher. She loves literature, and she like is a ver- absolute. I've never seen anyone read as much as her, and all that. And I'm just like, don't you? And she's a big HBO fan, so I'm like, you'll see The Last of Us next year, and um, maybe that will turn you around on the possibilities. But there is one more piece of news as a postscript. I don't know if you guys saw it. I want to just. Uh, oh, what happened? My, <laughs> what the hell? I saw. I have my. I have my. I have my, uh, my sweet '80s Uzi uh, water gun. By the way. November 11th, 2021, The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, Anniversary Edition, PS4 and PS5, free <laughs> next-gen console upgrade. Dude, if, you saw, if you're watching the video and you saw me make a face when Chris was talking for a moment, it's because my Twitter was up and I was like, oh my god, they are they're doing it again. We, we can't let them get away with it. We can't. So keep what's letting. going on here? I mean, just real quick, as a, this is another Bethesda game. You know, that's coming to PlayStation. Now, I know that Phil or. um, Yeah, well, I, I was going to say top. Yeah, Phil, let's say Phil said that the games with a, a history will be on the next console or it will be on PlayStation. Does this mean I mean, why would you not think the Scott that Elder Scrolls six would be on PlayStation now? I'm sorry. I don't understand what else you want me to say. Yeah. Especially, why wouldn't you think that? Dude, and the other thing is <laughs> they upgraded Hellblade for Series X. They did not upgrade it for PS5. Right. And Psychonauts and, also not coming to PS5 natively. Right. right. They're making deliberate decisions. Mm-hmm. They are. Oh They're my adding God, fishing. Skyrim. Thank God. You people Finally, are going to buy Skyrim it, though. That's, 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 that's the thing that's no. frustrating about it's this. Free. It's free. Like, oh, it's free? Wait, it's a free, like, free next-gen console upgrade. I think that that means that... No, I don't think that that's what that means. I think that it's... I could be wrong. Oh, wait, free next-gen upgrade coming soon. You can upgrade the special edition to the anniversary edition. Okay, so if you... This is from Nibble. If you have the special edition already, you can upgrade it. Otherwise, you get to buy it again. And I think the free next-gen upgrade thing is saying that if you buy it on PS4, you'll get it on PS5. Yes. All right. So they're selling the game. I mean, I, I... I think this is a significant piece of news. Well, Not, well, I, I can't stand Skyrim anymore. I can't. I know it's a joke, but it is something that they they've now announced. I mean, Quake and this, right? <laughs> I mean, but but why not? But why not? Psychonauts. Why not? So this is weird. I, I don't know. I, I I the only way you can bat. But then you'd say like, okay, so maybe it's the Bethesda stuff. But then you're like, but but Starfield is not on PlayStation. You know. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's confusing. It is. I mean, anyone who says that it's not confusing, you're a liar. No, it's. I'm sorry, you're a liar. You're ridi- you're ridiculous. It's it is confusing. It's confusing. Yeah, it is objectively confusing because there's some th- some decisions that I see that they make, and it's like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you don't have to release Psychonauts or hell, uh, put a Hellblade patch out. Like, yeah, whatever. You own those games, and then. But then to do it with Skyrim, like I understand Skyrim is like way bigger than Psychonauts and way bigger than Hellblade, but that's even more confusing in a in a weird way because it's like Starfield's gonna be huge, and that's right. not happen. It's it is it is confusing. The Quake thing is I think the Quake thing's even more confusing just because why would you feel the need to release that on it's never quake has never been on playstation the first one ever never so you could they could have literally been like yeah we're releasing it everywhere but playstation why wouldn't we everyone would be like oh yeah of course that makes sense so now i'm just back to square one but what is the difference like like what is the (laughs) like what actually is the substantive difference in the and this anniversary edition they added fishing fishing apparently to it 
Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> look, Skyrim is I, I can't look, Skyrim's a very important game. I loved it at the time. I have fond memories of it. I can't pretend like I don't. It's it's definitely probably in like a like a top twenty of mine, I would imagine. But let it fucking die. <laughs> Just, and if you're going to update it, like do something substantive, like really insane. Like if they had said, like, hey, guess what? Skyrim's getting a, a new expansion and it's fucking crazy and you, here's like this big new map like that's actually awesome and that yeah, would be like be cool. i think that would be like something that's everybody's excited about or like at least something that would be like not as ridiculous as just putting it out again well you know? uh, it, it's kind of like what you were talking about remember when they put out borderlands or borderlands 3 they 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 put a piece of dlc in borderlands 2 right in 2019 which was seven years after the game came out so it's kind of cool yeah it would have cool been a very well. similar thing yeah oh well Say la vie. Welcome back, Todd. Good to see you back in the PlayStation ecosystem. You aren't gone long. No. All right. That's all we have. Chris, you have any closing comments? Uh, no, I got to I got to start packing and getting everything kind of ready. It's going to be weird because I'm moving the day like the day that the truck comes to pick everything up is the day after we record. So like we're, we're oh. going to be recording and this room's going to be like completely empty. <laughs> That's cool. be, be cool like to see. You. Little, yeah, it'll be a little piece of uh, history for you. A little relic. Yeah. Gone past. yeah. Uh well good luck with that. We'll see you next week. Of course, Dustin. Closing comments. I wanted to tell Chris that when he was talking about it takes two, I've been thinking about buying this game for the last like week and a half because it's twenty five bucks on Amazon. I just went ahead and did it when you were talking nice. about it because uh I have two controllers now for PS5. So I think this is a good game for Holly and I. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious how you're gonna. What you're gonna think? Because it really is like so, so much better. That's what I've heard. Everyone says that, and so I was like, you know what? It's time to do it. I. I. Uh, by the way, I meant to bring this up earlier. We just didn't have a chance to talk about it with Cyberpunk uh, getting its 1.3 patch, um, which is a, a substantial update. I saw that GameStop and Best Buy and others were selling were selling the game for ten dollars. Yeah. And then <laughs> I went on PSN. I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Like this must be a Mia Culpa or whatever. And so I went on PSN. I'm like, I'll buy it now. And it was 50 bucks. Dude, it's because they like, got Come on! so yeah, many like... copies stockpiled that they thought they were going to sell at launch. Just like probably thousands of copies that just never physical copies. Push Square had this really eagle eyed story, which I thought was very interesting because I didn't notice this. So you remember when Cyberpunk was put back on PlayStation and it was number one on PS4 for that month on PSN? It fell totally off the list the next month. It's not even in, in the top 20. So it was like all of that pent up demand. And yeah. then that's it. Like whatever it was. And that was it. So I thought that was interesting. All right. Let's get the hell out of here. Boys, thank you for your time. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness and support of our show, whether on free feeds and of course on Patreon at patreon.com slash last media. We could not do it without you. The games are beginning now to start, you know, trickling out. We're going to have much more to talk about. You like these three hour long episodes. I'm sure I got something special for you. If you're like the guy who complained earlier, I don't know if we're going to like this moving forward very much, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe Deathloop's five minutes long. We won't have anything to say about it. <laughs> Dang. Uh, but thank you again for your love, your kindness and support. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. 
It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamor, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Jordan Mittman, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Anthony Fuentes, Sweaty Mitt, John Russell, Chris Kelly, Avaristo One, Dustin Graff, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen Rui, Corbin Dallas, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Jeffrey Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Rinsler 526, Ben B, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Michael J. Sutherland, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Travelis Archuleta, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algaret, Richard Hebert the Third, Miranda Grubber, Ray Lagia, Josh Yeager, Turbo Makes Games, Dan Parson, Martin Beck, Gavin, Brian Watkins, Joe Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Zach Binkley, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixie, Kyle Thomas, James Kinsler III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinnison, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. 
That's A-N-G-I dot com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.